Hey, everybody, welcome back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I automatically went to do it. No, by all means, Captain, you are in charge, so you always lead us in. Welcome to X's for Show. All right, well then, let's do this thing. Hey, everybody, welcome back to an all-new X's for Show, your premier show for streaming media content uh, every weekend and Wednesdays. You can check the show out at X's for Show, and uh, you can check me out at Nico Action on all your socials. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Always got to jump in first, I guess. All right, I'm cutting over to this guy. Uh, and I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental, and I'm cutting down to this guy. Yes, and uh, you know, normally I usually defer to these two experts, but we are on something that is in my wheelhouse today. I am Kevo. You can find me at Kevo Really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. And today we are talking about Doctor Who. I am very excited. We're heading down the time vortex. These guys are being kind enough to uh, let me discuss one of uh, my favorite sci-fi programs and hopefully maybe one of yours. But uh, I think one of the first questions we need to answer for anyone who isn't quite as experienced is what exactly is Doctor Who? Uh, and so we've broken down the premise into uh, its basic structure. Uh, Doctor Who is the story of an ancient alien who travels through time and space, helping those in need with the aid of some trusty companions. Uh, he explores the cosmos in a time-traveling spaceship called the TARDIS, which takes the form of an old blue phone box that's bigger on the inside. Armed with his wits and an assortment of gadgets, like the sonic screwdriver, he is a renegade from his people, the Time Lords, because of their ability to regenerate, completely transforming their bodies into a new form when fatally wounded they have uh there have been many faces to the doctor over the years and uh with a fondness for earth and particularly london and the united kingdom the doctor has had dozens of companions along his journeys with many coming and going over the years that's it pretty much in a nutshell uh there have been a lot of different story arcs and narrative revelations in its 60-year history squid but, robots uh, squid robots um weird arcs where there's different versions of the doctor that are evil but maybe those don't even exist anymore a lot of different stuff many different things but in its most basic form it is a monster of the week sci-fi fantasy series set against the backdrop of history and that pretty much is uh the history of doctor who do, do did i get it did i did i stick the landing 9.8 well the good news is if you didn't you and the doctor can hop back in and you can make this moment exactly what it was always meant to be because that's what the doctor is about. Wish fulfillment, historical revisionism in a good way, you know, not like uh, a Florida way, like, um, you know, like, uh, did you guys know about that Alan Turing guy? Yeah. Invented calculators and a homosexual, you know, that kind of thing. So I guess unrevisioning, but plus alien. But yes, Kevin, yes. I think you did nail the the immediate things you must know in order to consider whether or not you're even going to sit down to watch an episode of this the only oh. other th oh I, mean, I just want to say one other thing and it's in like the why doctor who is so incredible kind of web mm. doctor who does something that uh, i've always dreamed of doing that i think so few things do outside of comic books and uh, soap operas doctor who has the power to be 50 60 70 years into its canon bring up children recast actors regenerate like this is such a complex magical canosity 
in conjunction with many eras of Doctor Who, have expansive, um, bigger canon ideas, like the incorporation of spinoff material. Like, at one point, there were two spinoffs, Torchwood and Sarah Jane. And, uh, of course, I was a big Sarah Jane fan. Hey, what's up, girl? And um, I am just, as a comic book fan, always amazed that Doctor Who is the closest thing television has, for my taste, to the density of uh, Doctor Who, I mean, to the density of comic books outside of, like, Star Trek. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, um, that it has released so many episodes and gone through so many eras. I mean, the the smartest thing these guys did so early on was come up with this idea of the regeneration so they could always have a doctor and they could keep doing the show. That's such like a um where capitalism meets entertainment in that way that creates something really cool, no matter how much you hate capitalism, the fact that they wanted to produce a product that could continue indefinitely. They came up with this really neat idea and the way that kind of spun the whole show together uh, still fascinates me to this day. And they had so many different ideas and hopes for it, which is why the regeneration was necessary. But at the same time, you know, as much as what Nico is saying is true, that there is all of this canon and it is so deep and you can get lost in it. They do continually try to make sure that it remains fresh and easy for people to come into in such a way that you don't need to get too far into it. You don't need to fall into or study that level of canon. It's there for you if you love getting into it. But that's even part of what we want to talk about in this episode today, which is the ways that you can just easily come to it and pick it up a lot more casually than having to worry about you know, there's 175 episodes of just the new revival that started in 2005. Forget all the stuff that there was between 1963 and 1989. Forget all the books. Forget all the audio dramas. All those things. There, it's, there's, there's so much, and it can be so, so, so overwhelming. Which is why, uh, you know, I, I love coming up with lists that are short shortcuts which is what i like to call them you know uh at whatever level whether it's you know cutting a series in a third or this list which is six quick episodes to tell you if you know this series is even for you um which we will be showing you know shortly uh we will be discussing the choices that are made for that list as well as you know different episodes that we feel uh, would be good for a new fan to watch or just things that are cool and exciting and really represent Doctor Who. So obviously, you know, there will be spoilers. Where is my um, red alert? I'm going to well, make a say, video for this at some point. You curated a really good list for uh, not spoilers, basically. I try, and I appreciate yeah. that. And, uh, you know, in case anything does come up, though, uh, you we want to give the blanket uh, spoiler warning. But first, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about ourselves and our own experience with the show, uh, with our big question that we start every episode with. Uh, this episode is going to be what brought you to Doctor Who, uh, which is just, you know, as usual, broad general question. Uh, what was your experience with the show? What are your favorite things? Anything you want to say about why you're here talking about the big blue box? 
I mean, I was raised in fandom and nerd culture, so I just sort of always knew what Doctor Who was. I don't know that there's a point where I was ever like told, oh, that's what Doctor Who is. I read Wizard Magazine. You know, there was always like references to Doctor Who in the letters pages of old Marvel comics. And I was lucky enough to have, you know, access to my dad's collection from the 60s, 70s and 80s. So I grew up reading the stuff that's still not even reprinted. Uh, and I had the letters pages and, you know, those letters pages are wild. I wish they would just do books of letters pages because they're that wild. Um, but so I feel like there's starting to be a market for that, though, legitimately. Yeah, I, I, I am the market. The market is me. You are the market. And, I, you know, think that Doctor Who is something that I was lucky enough to really have a strong understanding of growing up. Uh, but as far as like, what's my Doctor Who? Um, you know, it's it's not cute, but I'm not an educational show guy. Um, that's that's not me. And I know that's a problem when I'm an educator. But uh, what I am is a guy who really appreciates cleverness and an adventure and doctor who has cleverness and an adventure in four suits and 13 cards it's just a deck of ridiculous with the doctor every time it goes way too silly for my liking and gets way over dramatic for my liking which good it actually pushes me to some places that i'm not always interested in going and i go every time because the storytelling is so crisp so i guess if you're asking me like what i love about doctor who it's that it's challenging it's that it's it's not always how i see the world and i think that's even part of the doctor's point isn't it like see the world differently like open your mind to this other universe so yeah what brought me to doctor who was um like literally it used to be on before Battlestar Galactica on the sci-fi channel. Like that was the thing that aired and yes, it was 2006. Exactly. And we kept, uh, my partner and I were just getting together at the time and, uh, we would watch Battlestar Galactica together every Friday. Uh, and you know, we would, like we would get to it few minutes early and constantly see little flashes of Doctor Who and you know of course we knew enough to know that there had been a Doctor Who in the past that this was a revival um, but neither of us really knew anything about it or had been super interested but we just kept seeing these flashes and it really uh, it was catching our eye every time and so we got to a place where we were looking for like a new show to watch together and you didn't just... yet have us to force you to watch random food competitions precisely we, we had that we were filling that void already and so yeah we just threw it on right from the beginning with the the very first episode of the revival and i i think we were hooked pretty fast now uh, I, uh let me ask you kevo what sure. uh what brought you to Doctor Who, what's your experience with the big blue box? You know, uh, it's actually funny. The thing that I came to first before Doctor Who, and I don't have a visual prepared for it, which is fine. That's not the end of the world. Uh, but was the spinoff Torchwood. You mentioned the spinoffs uh, mm -hmm. starring John Barrowman. Uh, and there was an episode featured that, you know, in early 2007 had a man-on-man -man kiss. And it was headline news 
back in the day and it got me interested in checking out this show and so i did and i devoured it and that was right around the same week that i'd started at Keene university and uh there was this dork in my class uh who was like oh you've watched torchwood you should really watch doctor who this guy sounds gay but i bet he's great in bed he wouldn't uh let up so i watched it finally really after too long when i think about it because if we met in january i didn't start watching doctor who until march Uh, so i really much like everything i I resisted you i have to be honest after after high school i just didn't have the same bullying spirit anymore and i just couldn't bend people to my will anymore Yeah, listeners, in case you haven't picked up on the subtle subtext here, it was Nico that was the nerd. It was Nico the whole time. (laughs) It's always Nico that's the nerd. Much like you'll come to find, it is always the doctor. It is always Nico who is the nerd. Um, And so I watched the first six episodes in one night, and I caught up (laughs) on the first 27 episodes in a week, and uh, fell in love, and started... Preaching the gospel of Doctor to anyone who would listen, including uh, show contributor Tori Sheehan, who's in the audience right now, uh, who is commenting and saying that she is 99% sure that she got into it because I kept dropping love letters to the 10th Doctor and Rose on the Bird app. And whoops, she slipped and fell in love. Uh, Maybe 1% flames Tumblr, but uh, that is what it is. (laughs) That sounds like the right mix. She also wants to say the Nico Kevo love story is longer and stronger than anything else. It's getting up there. It really is. Yeah. Uh, At our wedding, all of the guest tables were named after OTPs, and one of them was the Tenth Doctor and Rose because they are a a romance that I that I very much cherished when I was a young buck first starting at a new school. And uh, this show is something that's gotten me through a lot of hard times. It's gotten a lot of people through a lot of hard times. Mm -hmm. I want to coin a new term. When it takes a really long time, but it gets there, it's a romance. Ooh, and when it I don't just think I've takes that before, and when it just takes a really long time, it's a slow mance. And when it's done, it's a blowover mance. Mm, I agree. Mm-hmm. And if it's uh, an on the go mance, right? So uh, this is just <laughs> devolving. We're just RuPaul at this point. You're stupid. I so I need a rhyming dictionary. Is what I need. All right, now. Um, Tori Kevo, approves. No, that's all that matters. You you said a lot of your history, and I, I really love that. But as you were the guy who dresses as the doctor, got partially married, uh, you know, in all doctory things, uh, you know, our great doctoriness and to our love, wonderful. But what is it that you love about this show? What keeps bringing you back, showrunner after showrunner, iteration after iteration? Um. The diversity of potential, genuinely, to, to, to put it into a nutshell, the, the, the diversity of potential and potential diversity, all of it, because like as much as I have been falling into the Star Trek fandom lately, and I'm loving it, and I am learning loving so much it. of the history, loving it, uh, you know, but it's, 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 it's such a finite thing because it has a linear structure. But with Doctor Who and with the, you know, common fandom phrase of wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey, 
you can go all over the place you can do all sorts of things and as the show has been growing and the doctor has been growing and the franchise has been expanding to the point where we got our first female doctor um we have our first main cast linear black doctor coming up with shuri gatwa we have so many different things that we can do with this cast and with these stories because you can go backwards in time you can go forwards in time there's there's so much potential for different stories and it's all it could all be standalone it could all be a narrative structure it's i i really love that about it um for as much as there is the base core you can still stretch it in all of these different directions and do all these different things i'm part of another podcast called the traveling tardis where we talk a lot about you know uh favorite episodes or things that we love about the show things that we want to see we talk about like potential spin-offs because there's so much spin-off potential with all the different things that they introduce you could have literally just an anthology series where every episode is a different concept and a different thing or you could do an entire series based on so many different things um you know you you see it coming up with stuff like star wars where they are building this franchise of all the different concepts i really think that the returning showrunner russell t davis who was in charge when we were kids um he wanted to do something like that but back in 2008 that that wasn't that wasn't real we didn't have social media you couldn't do that they tried putting webisodes on like nokia phones that that wasn't happening but now you can do so many more things like that and it has so much potential for that and i think all from this one show that's really cool mr you're in charge oh i'm in charge well uh so well you were what do you think can i show my list yet is it time to yeah i just you know if if like you know if the academy awards start giving away best picture at the beginning of the show no one's gonna keep watching you know so we, we just had to save that i just hit my desk we had to save the uh amazingness of your uh incredible list but i do Mark. also just want to share number one so this is my normal background um this is like my favorite place in the entire universe this is my favorite building on earth probably uh and oh thank you kevo uh i i really can't think of anything i love more than asbury park and uh one of the things that's so cool about doctor who is it's not weird that kevo just sort of photoshopped in uh, a tardis into my background because that's sort of what doctor who is about it's about your favorite places suddenly interacting with the doctor and history and time and it's just special you know, not even your favorite places, but just any possible place. Like the idea that they would do an episode where the doctor goes to Asbury is just as plausible as basically any location you can think of. Now, granted, most of the time, if they're on Earth, they're going to lean British. Uh, but America happens a lot. Uh, you know, every location happens. Uh, and you know, that's the, the whole point of the show is they can go anywhere in time and space. So it's not particularly unreasonable to sort of fantasize and imagine that they might show up where you live. And it's kind of the it's on the, the other end of a spectrum or in a different corner of a Cartesian plane from Star Wars in that they are both two phenomenons of science fantasy, mm. uh, but where... 
Star Wars is nothing that we, it's high fantasy. It's nothing that we know. We don't have the things. Nothing is recognizable. We've never been in a totalitarian regime where there is economic disparity along nation lines. Not where people can throw each other with their minds. I was going to say, you know, we don't have Yoda to to address the issue. But with Doctor Who, it is um, that it could be in your backyard. You know, there's... The same science fantasy concepts where time and space sort of function with a bit of magic that touches on scientific concepts, but we know defy any laws of reasonable physics. This is not hard science fiction, Uh, but all that it brings is, you know, you literally could be walking down the boardwalk on Asbury and see the TARDIS show up and that would be an episode and we would all love it. Yep. Yeah. I want to share two comments before I do the big reveal. We have yeah. a we have a comment from our friends at the Legend of the Traveling Tardis. A very common Doctor Who quotation. This is how I felt about the reveal of the Doctor's new sonic screwdriver. You've redecorated. I don't like it. And uh, wanted to share contributor Tori Sheehan's commentary of for me, the Doctor is the fairy tale for adult dreamers. Who want to do some time tourism mm-hmm. beautifully put very true and uh so let's do the big reveal then so it's pretty much mostly premieres but they are uh selected with purpose it is series one episode one rose series two episode one new earth series four episode one partners in crime series five episode one the 11th hour Series 10, Episode 1, The Pilot, and Series 11, Episode 1, The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Thunk. Not your list, her. Yes, The Woman Who Fell. Because your list is great. Now, um, I just want to say, I love Kevo's list so much when he was like, and I want you guys to come up with your own list. And I was like, no. Like, who wants to be the person to follow Gaiman on Sandman? Like... That's not how you do, right? Breaking into the Super Bowl. Yeah, I it's it's the Heidi Bowl. And so I would, uh, you know, rather say I think Kevo did such a terrific job, such a terrific. I can't even speak. Kevo did such a a terrific job with his list that uh, instead of making an alternates list, I made a, and if you like these, don't forget there's also these other ones that are pretty cool. And here's why these episodes show a sort of different side of the same super cool Doctor Who coin. Um, Because I'm sure at some point they've done commemorative coins. Ooh, or badges. They love badges over there. They call buttons badges. Okay. Not <laughs> them, <them>. not you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you even say to that? I think it's also worth noting though, Kevo, uh when I was looking at the list, I I you know, I don't pay attention to numbers as much as possible cuz they scare me. Um and so when I was looking okay, at the list, we can't I, do math. Yeah, no thank you. Um I just pulled up the, you know, the titles and the Wikipedia entries and you did pick series premieres or season premieres as we tend to call them but those are a little bit less relevant for doctor who than the episode after a regeneration and that was actually what i was really uh impressed because my first thought was like oh if we're you know 
because uh, I did I did eventually pick up on what the episodes were. But I was like, if we're doing those, why wouldn't we do the episode after each regeneration? Because then we get to meet the guy and you kind of... But if the point here is to offer to newcomers uh, a, a, a set of episodes that will be really good for understanding if you like it, I think it's almost coincidental that these are all series premieres uh, because the series in a lot of ways really do premiere when the new doctor shows up. So, uh, you know, new earth and partners in crime are both in David Tennant's run and they might have new companions or that be different in another way, but they are sort of already in the middle of the action for him and not at the yes. point where he's just regenerating. Uh, and when you really start to delve into the show and the fandom, those regeneration episodes actually fare better if you know more about the Doctor. Yeah. they're a little bit about the pathos of who he was before and who he's going to be this time around. And if you know nothing about the show, they're a little esoteric because he's talking so much about who he is but you wouldn't know that stuff if yeah you're, you're like i don't i don't i don't i don't know why this is emotional right. for you and these episodes that you've picked meanwhile he's a little set in who he is at that point and it's just kind of about like let me show you the world i just need to buzz in with what i really need life to have at this point is i need to be able to just like throw gifts at life because yes. Uh, when you said wibbly wobbly timey wimey, I just wanted to throw did a crazy rubber dance from uh, Golden Girls up on the screen, um, and uh, I I just kind of keep wanting to respond to every amazing thing you're saying with like gifts from the show mm -hmm. or uh, little videos mm -hmm. of the things going on because as you're talking about the idea that you know it's hard to react if you don't know the doctor. I just want to be able to throw up our our favorite thing from Sports Night, which is the premiere of Sports Night, talks about how. You don't know this guy, but he's acting weird. And I think Casey Kevo's syndrome. Casey we always syndrome. talk about Casey syndrome. And I think Kevo's list goes out of its way to avoid you don't know these characters, so yeah. you're at a loss. While I think perhaps one of the most notable companions the Doctor has had uh, in Donna Noble, played by the unforgettable Catherine Tate, while Partners in Crime is not her first episode in sequence or in canon, it is such a self-contained moment in time the only and i just need to say it now because i don't want to spoil the beautiful discussion we're going to have about it later but no. there's this moment that i never forget where uh catherine tate looks to the sky and uh wilf her grandfather is uh right near her which uh we we know somebody who thought wilf was an acronym for why no i'd like to fuck jesus <laughs> um but uh, we'll tell you later. Hope. Yeah, she's looking at the sky and she's like, oh, "I'm just searching." And I always flash to that moment where it's uh, Selena and she's sitting on the roof and she's like, "I'm dreaming." Yeah. So, oh my God, <laughs> such Selena <laughs> Barb. <laughs> and, waited, and it's like, Russell T. Davis, so you know you he's that. seen Selena. You know he's seen it. He was a gay kid in Spanish class. <laughs> he knows. No, but he was, you know, a gay man going to the uh, to the club scene in the '90s. So he was a J Lo fan. Como la flor, um, the original Bloom. So, 
I I love everything TK was saying, and I think so much of what you're saying also speaks to that there are supposed to be these you can start here points, and mm. that is why they 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 structure their premieres in such a way. And I think even many of the secondary episodes that Nico selected, a lot of them would be great to just watch as a fresh start. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I noticed a pattern, I was like, if I can, there's been 13 series premieres so far. Is there a pattern where I feel like these would be good ones to watch? And and yeah, this is uh, this is uh, the list that Tori was demanding. Mm -hmm. um, Traveling Tardis also commented on Tori's tourism time tourism hashtag saying that needs to be on a shirt uh which yeah there's 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 so much as tori also points mm -hmm. out no, we're just that gonna is very that for ourselves we're gonna save what? time tourism for ourselves stuff that we're just gonna save time it's on this show we it belongs to us now. right no it's ours but that's <laughs> Sorry, the thing kind of so much about this franchise is memeable and yeah. repeatable yeah. and catchphraseable and and that was such a huge part of the revival and how it kept going because when it starts, social media and memory is not as popular a phenomenon. It is very much yeah, a chronically online phenomenon. So when it starts, it really is, is this even viable to be on TV? Do we even have an audience that is going to care anymore? You know, does the new generation of kids want to watch this? What's going on? And then by the time we get to Matt Smith, which is really the make or break point, I think, of was this yes. just a really nice experiment that now we can say goodbye to? Or is this going to be a thing? That's right when, you know, Tumblrification of life becomes a thing and people will gif anything you see. They will turn any phrase into a hashtag. And Geek that's Tumblr. When, yes. And that's when we get this young set of doctor and companion who really uh, comport themselves well to that. And the, the synergy is really there. And I think that really fed the engine at a time where even if they had been good, if there wasn't a way to sort of fuel the fandom and have them be people that were going to get other people on board, I still think it might have have died. But, you know, luckily we did have this time and they did give us such memeable content. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of current, I think, that runs through all of these episodes that Kevo selected is a sense of accessibility to the notion of adventure, right? Because adventure means a lot of different things to a lot of different people as people who live primarily our lives in suburbs and cities. I, I really do think of like the woods as an adventure, but I know that I have a lot of friends that I made through like different, you know, international like college program uh, students who would say to me, like the biggest adventure of their life was coming to Orlando, Florida. And I'm like, I enjoy Orlando a lot, but I don't know that I would call that the biggest adventure of my life. And they're like, yeah, I mean, I see the stat, I see the, the Eiffel tower every day and you know, but now I get to see this and I'm like, oh, okay. And like, it's all about perspective. And the thing that doctor who gives is a chance to see that perspective. And I think Kevo's list is just so finely cultivated to express different kinds of adventure. Now, Kevo, one thing I was really <laughs> curious about, did you ever consider not doing one for every doctor? 
genuinely no. That did feel important. Um, if I leaned David Tennant heavy, it's, you know, he is possibly the most popular doctor uh, now. Uh, for a long time, it was the fourth doctor of the original. But from And a you, voting... you can't lean too heavy on any of them, because if you're doing one of every one, you only have one extra episode. Yeah. To... Uh, I don't know. You you might have left out the uh, the the complex older gentleman, but don't worry, I took care of that. Um, because when I was thinking about what mine would be, that was a thing where, uh, I had to at one point check my bias, um, because I maybe don't love Capaldi or Jodie Whittaker as much. Um, and when I started to think about it, I realized that I was like really putting it on David Tennant and Matt Smith to the point where my list in my head didn't have any... Uh, Jodie Whittaker and I really think when you're looking at the survey of is this for you one of the really big questions is maybe uh, you know David Tennant isn't for you but if you really can get into Jodie Whittaker so if you love her and that episode I actually think by the end of watching that you maybe are going to want to go back and see Tennant so doing one of each I think was really brilliant I really wanted to represent the breadth of the series. This yeah. represents episodes that are from 2005 all the way to 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. Is that when Jody started? Um, you know, uh, who can never be sure? <laughs> yeah, for real. I do think it's yeah. 2018, but the pandemic yeah. has fried my sense of time. Exactly. Um, but I wanted to show, you know, that. The way that it is different uh, from the variety of actors, producers, years, budgets, um, all these different things that affect the show, I I really feel like there's value to be found in every Doctor in every era. You know, the season that I selected the episode from for the 12th Doctor, um, I hate half the episodes of that series. Literally the three episodes in the middle... I find so annoying and such a waste of an amazing companion, but, um, you know, uh, it's up, it's down. It's a show that goes through a lot of different eras. Uh, I think one of the lowest points from a storytelling point of view was when it had its peak viewership, uh, during the 11th doctor, I hated series six and almost quit the show. I have never felt that way about the show since. Uh, I came close in Series 8 with the 12th Doctor. I never really came close with the 13th Doctor for as much as a lot of people complain about her era. I never came close to quitting. I didn't think it was stellar by any means. I feel like there were a lot of flaws, but I thought there was a lot of fun. I loved her performance and I loved the actors in it. So I feel like this is a show where you can be into, come back to, you can find your place, you can find, you know, your Doctor and the episodes that really speak to you. Um, well, I want to start speaking about those episodes. Let's, sure. uh, let's yeah, as, crack open rows. As a uh, traveling Tardis Ooh. showrunner asked, uh, Christian Dazel asked, these are supposed to be the gateway drugs. Yes. I'd call them the keys to the TARDIS yeah. perhaps, but yeah, uh, we were talking about the start before let's start at the very beginning. Uh, well, Rose is the story of a young woman living in London. Uh, she's got 
a cute boyfriend. She lives with her mom. You know, kind of a typical lower class type life where she works in a shop. And then one day she encounters the doctor and all these crazy hijinks and shenanigans. And yeah, this was where it started. Uh, it was really, really, really super low budget at the start. Uh, not just because it was giving a new start to an experiment, but also because it was 2005. So I think there's a lot of stuff in this episode that can be really hokey and hard to watch. Uh, the shop window dummies that come to life. Uh, there's a lot of cute tricks that they try to do to get away with things. Hold on. No, Kevo, you're being very sweet, but this has the exact same production quality of you can find it at the market. I'm talking about flea market. Like it is literally that production quality. So a little better. Barely. I, I do. I do think it is a little better. Cause I will say the thing that really turned me off to doctor who prior to the revival was that it was so obviously low budget, like really, um, I almost thought they would have been better off being on a stage and ha- having it be like a play and just having cameras there rather than attempting to even trick us into thinking that these are not cardboard sets all the way through. Um, I'd love. Yeah, and I, now I'm very charmed like by not it. not the point. Yeah, and now I'm very charmed by it. When I was a kid, that really, I just couldn't No, I'm get saying I would it. love your stage idea. I would oh, love yes. that. Yes, thank you. Oh uh, yeah. Um, the first thing I felt like when I saw the new one was okay. They gave them the five dollars more that was necessary to make this from so glaringly low budget. I can't see anything else to like very clearly low budget. But we can work with this. We can tell a story. We hear that the rate of inflation since we last made an episode of Doctor Who, Doctor Who is 211%. So we are going to give them an additional 211 euros. Yeah, exactly. This they week. use those euros well. Uh, the fact that they were able to get Billy Piper, mm. who was not yet a global mega star, but that they saw but she her was a star value. over there. She was, she yeah, was she was kind of just, well, I said global. You once, once described this to me as though they had gotten Mandy Moore be the companion on doctor who and that has really stuck with me especially when i've seen some of her music videos Mm -hmm. yeah okay Mm -hmm. um and And now look at mandy moore being america's billy viper (laughs) but really that was such a wild thing and a lot of people were really nervous about it because that just seemed so crazy but she gave such an amazing performance the the moment where you see Rose run into the TARDIS for the first time. And it was the first time Billy Piper was the Mandy Moore. I was literally typing this. Yeah, yeah, no, Tori knows it. Uh, the moment the that she runs into the TARDIS for the first time, it's it, they were for the first time able to do a decent effect of someone running into the TARDIS. And you see her face and they play this music cue that will later become such an important piece of music for the character of Rose uh, when she, spoiler alert again, departs. Everyone leaves, everyone comes back, or not, you'll see. But it's 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 such an amazing moment. And when they when they're trying to express the grandeur of this set, uh, it was such a hard thing to be able to do way back in the day. And in 2005, it wasn't much easier to the point where they have really spent so much time and energy just evolving, illustrating the bigger on the inside concept. Uh, Could you just go back one slide real quick? 
I want to point out the other thing that really needs to be stated that is so important. We take for granted the amount that fashion and clothing dictate our understanding of a character's economics and their background, who they are. It's how we relate to these characters. Every doctor's outfit becomes a $3,000 replica, a $500 replica, and an $8 replica. And they make every version of it as an action figure. And at this moment, in this image, while the, the clothing is absolutely accurate, Billy Piper looks like she's dressed like a Lego figure. She is blocky and she's not a blocky woman. She's a beautiful woman and she's got, you know, curves. You know, she's a lovely creature. And here they really didn't have the budget or the lighting or the time to celebrate how great the aesthetics of a show can be, that that's what ensorcels us. And so, so much of that has to go to the incredible acting, the even when it's silly, very tight writing well-intentioned direction, phenomenal music. And, you know, it really is a testament to how hard they had to work to make up the difference. But I also want to throw out there that the, you know, in particular, Billy Piper's fashion is really meant to give you an idea of the economic status of the character. And that is such an important thing because she's really there to be the representative of fucking Jackie. Oh my god. Her mother's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um to to be, you know, the kitty pride of this, to be the onboarding character. Yep. And to represent a a demographic of young British people who uh didn't have the means to do a lot of stuff. Um and, you know, the big thing, uh, the thing I think about with Doctor Who all the time is they constantly talk about traveling because since this is a UK European show, it's really not unimaginable for any particular young person in the UK, even poor people, that you would travel for a bit and get to go to a bunch of countries where in America, like we can go state to state on a road trip. But, we don't think of that as a thing, though. Not no. the way that you think of a country and going, right. you know, to and Spain. And it's difficult for us to get to other countries. But, you know, you can get $15 flights from the UK to Spain, to a completely different country, anywhere kind of in mainland Europe, and experience entirely different culture. So there's this way in which she is this relatively poor young person who's about to do this rite of passage that a lot of young British people do, which is to get the $15 flight and go backpack around Europe, except her thing is she's going to go throughout time and space. And... It's. I found that though they very clearly don't have the budget for a lot of things, that was one where they made the best of it and gave us a character who could fit the fact that they didn't have a budget to give her really, you know, stunning clothes the way that, like, Amy gets some outfits by the time we get no, to her as the companion. No, I need the best dressed character in the entire show is Peter Capaldi. I, oh, I, yeah. 100%. That man is dressed. I oh my god! I, I can't even feel fathom. like that's one of the ways in which the show benefited from its low budget in early seasons, though, especially in the first series. Where I do wonder, uh, you know, especially when you to jump ahead an image, see Rose in her next series. She's a lot more fitted in something that's you know a cute top. I genuinely 
wonder if maybe the show benefited from having such a lower budget and not trying to glam Rose up to really sell home exactly the point you're making of she is this young woman who is at this age, you know, Rose herself as a character who didn't finish school, who doesn't have a lot of money, who probably isn't going to be doing the amount of traveling a lot of her, a lot of kids her age do. Mm -hmm. um, and as Tori points out, the thing about Rose is she's not special. She's a normal human and yet she is special. And that's what makes people want in on this show. Yep. So many of the companions are meant to represent the the everyman not every single one is yeah. but so many are and they're meant to be more accessible and you know it's 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 lost my train of thought i'm so sorry so i'll jump in no you're good uh, it's um you, i you do get like the two that i think about most are rose and donna who are supposed to be kind of lower class uh, not particularly cultured or worldly, but with very specific and strong personalities that will lend themselves to interacting with another person. Uh, but as you said, this isn't a universal thing. It's not every single companion has to be the everyman. The second companion for uh, you know this revival, Freema Aggieman's Martha Jones, I think you know, we get the idea pretty early on that she comes from a wealthier background. Yes, she's a she's, medical she, student, so yep. she can afford to be a medical student. Yep. Um, and, you know, she's a medical student, so she's also very educated. She's, you know, she has a job where she's going to be a doctor. So Her cousin worked for Torchwood. <laughs> so it's... It's not necessary that every companion be the everyman. And again, I think that's a really brilliant touch. I think it's great that they can always go back to that and onboard new people. Uh, but because they have such a wealth of options and the, the sort of established background of having a lot of different companions, they can give us a, a doctor who meets the doctor. And that works just as well. That's just as compelling of a companion. Yeah, so, Tori points out about Martha that her parents go to galas. She's right. a solid middle She's class. Solid middle probably class. Probably yeah. up. <laughs> so I actually just want to point out that one of the things that I love this episode for doing is giving you a sense that Rose is this new baby girl and she's just jumping into the doctor's crazy world. And like I use the term baby girl because they go out of their way to show that she is also treated the way she is because she's a young woman. Yeah, they and hit that she's so, 19 a lot. Yeah. And but also the ways that she's treated as secondary for being a woman. Like she's not the same sort of, oh, she's got so many options uh, that, you know, a man might. And that's, I think, a huge part of her story. And they even picked an actress that looks so much like her for her mother. So you can literally see she will become her mother. And um, I bring all that up because. By the time you get just a few episodes into the series, uh, one of my favorites, Dalek, which I had the amazing opportunity to talk about on the wonderful and previously mentioned uh, Traveling TARDIS. Uh, super great show. Always amazing when Christian has us on. Thank you so much. Right. Uh, of course, Kev was way more involved. But uh, Dalek is where the doctor has no choice but to listen to Rose. Because she makes way more sense. And yeah, this guy's way too hot. Yeah, this the, these were for you. These pictures were specifically for you. But I totally forgot that, dude. Yeah, right? But I think, you know, that within six episodes, the doctor is like, man, let me listen to that woman. She's so intelligent. Mm. She is someone I respect. 
and I also have a uh, soft spot for Daleks. I love horrifying murder monsters. Uh, not real ones. Like, real people are gross. But, like, mm-hmm. fictional magical murder monsters, that's adorable. And these guys especially, they're covered in armor, but they've got a really scary little Cthulhu squid on the inside. That is so you. It should only have a mouth with sharp teeth. It's oh, but, like, coming eye, out of though. its fingers... Oh my god. I like to think they have a sharp beak in there too. Oh, I think they horrible. probably do. If not, they probably will soon as yeah, the technology is upgrade. catching up with us. Yeah. I hope yeah. their insides always hurt. Oh, no. They do. They do. Yeah. Good for you. I love Daleks. They're so great. Um, Daleks are really great. Now, Kevo- what an iconic oh. uh, character. That, tr- that was like, I mean... I didn't watch really any Doctor Who from the original series, but we all know what a Dalek is. You know, we all know the <laughs> Killer Pepper Pots. <laughs> yes, Tori. Tori uh, knows they are called Killer Pepper Pots because that is what they are called in the UK. We do not have Pepper Pots here. Right, exactly. Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, the, you know, the Exterminate, Exterminate is such an iconic villain war cry like they really by creating this thing again out of like a budget of five dollars so they literally have a plunger uh as one of their and an egg beater as the other yeah yeah um But. but iconic design and a really incredible thing that the show didn't do what I think we would do in America, which is to give some retcon for why now every single Dalek looks totally different and spend the budget on making them look really gritty and dark and badass. They worked with the design that they built that is iconic and over incremental, uh, you know, periods have touched it up to where it's at the same level as everything else. Um, and we never lost the iconic Dalek shape or sound that we have come to associate with this, you know, really recognizable villain. You have great taste in Daleks. Oh, where's my Dalek? He's up there. I have, I your, I have, your, I have your eggs. Eggs, I, we call him. I don't know if you noticed. That's why I stepped away. I was looking for him. I was. I have a plush Dalek that kind of means everything. <laughs> I love Daleks. I just think they're so fucking cute. I can't stand it. I can't stand how cute they are. They're adorable. They I just agree. look like little Disney parade floats mm-hmm. that just want to kill. Um, so it's a little bit more tragic kingdom than magic kingdom, but it all kind of works together for me. And they um, would also prefer that you don't speak. I... <laughs> You are entering my spider webs. Hi, he's not, he's not quite picking up, but oh, he's got, he carries our pride flag. His yeah. name is Eggs because he says execute. Eggs, eggs terminate. Yeah, eggs eggs terminate. Thank you. I, I can't believe I said execute like the Pokemon. I'm just I was going to say, that's a Pokemon. He's going to get you for that. I hope yeah. he does. He should punish me. Uh, see, he's a sweet little dog. He's going to poke me. Oh, oh, no, you hurt me. Right? Punish me, Pepper Daddy. Um, so I want to ask you, Kevo, how do you feel about the inclusion of Dalek on the list? My list, you know, the not your list. That's, that is one that I absolutely think, uh, really does work as a standalone. Would you like this show? It really highlights the drama. It, uh, 
was such an important episode early on for understanding Daleks as a concept, introduce them singularly and show what a great threat a single Dalek can be. And then you start doing hordes of Daleks, because if you hadn't done a single Dalek episode first, I think it maybe would have been harder to sell the, sell the stakes of single Dalek episodes later on. Uh, but yeah, uh, so much of this could really be uh, you watch this cold to tell if you would like the show. And for what it's worth, my uh, I was like, well, what if we had a Dalek episode? Mine was Asylum of the Daleks because I thought kill two birds with one stone and give us Rory, Amy, and Clara. So we get a real real smorgasbord of companions plus the Daleks. Daleks love killing two birds with one stone. (laughs) He's so efficient. I would love to watch those back to back because that is one of those things where I feel like that does so represent. Yeah, those are almost a hundred episodes apart, not yep. quite, but very close to be. It's at least over ninety, and so watching this episode next to one that has like a Dalek Parliament, a planet where all of the insane Daleks are sent, mm-hmm. um, and it also kind of plays with the idea of the canon of things, mm-hmm. where you know concepts are introduced and then perhaps erased and it shows uh the ways in which the series can be ephemeral Mm -hmm. while having continuing threads and themes yeah and you know i think that is one of the best things that you did with your list Uh, it's something i really love about your choice for your second episode because i just want to say i don't love either episode that we chose for our second episode, as much as I love things about the episodes. Um, Because I think both kind of miss making a great overall episode to make really great moments. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what I meant in the first place. Every episode of Doctor Who doesn't have to be for you to find something fantastic in it or to be able to be like, you know what? I can tell you like this kind of storytelling that is so successful that one of the most successful sci-fi shows of all time has multiple episodes I can point to like that. This is a great opportunity. Like, this would be a great jumping on point for you. So even if, like, I don't think every episode on this list is the greatest episode of all time, it's hard not to get excited talking about them because of the value that each one has uniquely. And, you know, I hard agree. And, you know, I thought about what episode to put next here. There is the first episode of David Tennant, which was a Christmas special, which is a really good one. But it's a really weird one because the Doctor's only in, like, a third of the episode. It was a very strange structure. Very much could have not paid off for them. But David Tennant is just so cool and popular. And the chemistry between these two kids is just so fun. I How could you not fall in love with the show at this point pretty much um so this episode is uh series two episode one new earth Mm -hmm. uh which is uh a a sort of sequel to an episode from series one uh featuring the ninth doctor where it has a returning villain but it's structured in such a way where they kind of explain oh we met you before and then you can carry on pretty quickly and i felt like that very much represents the nature of Doctor Who, where if an old villain comes back, there's been plenty of times where it's someone from the 60s or 70s, and, you know, I have no idea who they're talking about at first. I hop on 
the Tartopedia or whatever it's called online. And I figure out, you know, where it came from. But it doesn't really take away from the enjoyment of the episode's narrative structure. There's, you know, hints of continuity from that episode and potentially flashing forward to future episodes. But it's really just a great bit of chemistry between Billy Piper and David Tennant to show once again the idea of you can come into any episode almost. And it's kind of worth noting that like when Doctor Who kicked back off, it was very look at the fat farting aliens. And it sometimes it would be a little look at the crazy big brother parallels, mm. but it was always kind of uh, a little bit. I, I don't know how else to put it. And I don't mean it disparagingly because I mean it really positively, but it was always kind of a little bit reactionary to pop culture in a way that was cool for young people. That was only kind of an older person's idea of young people. Mm-hmm. Not an old person, but someone older than a young person. Mm-hmm. And series two said, yeah, we're not young. We're not going to do that. That's that's very silly. We're going to stop that now. And instead, it committed to a very different understanding of sci-fi. I felt that so many episodes in season one were kind of WPIX syndicated afternoon block plots that Doctor Who elevated. But I felt that series two is uniquely its own show with its own sense of emotional morality. New Earth, by having so many of the most central characters to this two-series block, I think does a really great job to highlight a lot of those elements. It also shows where the show can't... I mean, like, it's sort of like Doctor Who has so much cool, it has trouble managing it all sometimes. So you're going to get led on by really cool sentences that are going to get stuck in your head for six series, and it's not going to go as many places as you're hoping. But that's kind of like the magic of good storytelling, like comics. You like you get excited about where it could go. And sure, sometimes it's not going to pay off, but like part of the magic of like a good reality competition is like, oh my God, who's going to win? And when you watch it all in a day, it's it's not quite as... Yeah, like Tori, bad wolf. I am the bad wolf. I am your bad wolf and I fucked her. <laughs> Eddie Zard? No, Susie has not been on Doctor Who yet. That's interesting. Um, I also want to point out that this <laughs> this uh, series is where we start to see uh, meta plot and mythos come really into play. Um, there are a couple very minor moments in the first season, like literally just the fact that the Doctor shows up is sort of pulling from the mythos of where he was before, and that takes a long time to learn and pay off. Um, And then there's like a couple little things at the end that the rest of the series will tie into, or the rest of the show will tie into. But other than that, it doesn't really touch a lot of ongoing plot lines. It doesn't really seed anything that will come back. And this series is where it does really start to experiment with that and where that does get to be a really important thing. And Doctor Who being such a, the you know, is kind of the gold standard of serial television, um, and you know, Monster of the Week television stuff where you really don't need to have seen anything else. 
this is where we start to tap into um or sorry episodic television and this is where we start to tap into serial television where you know there are going to be plot points and meta plot ideas that literally will be seasons and seasons later to pay off you said earlier that doctor who isn't hard science and i love that because doctor who is kind of impressionist science stand back and just look at how beautiful it is don't get too close because then it's just wibbly wobbly dots but stand back and it's a beautiful ballerina stand back and it's a beautiful horse stand back and it's some water lilies or some fruit because as much as i love them the impressionists only really painted six things But, you know, the fact that they invented that phrase, wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey, just to say, like, yeah, no, we're we're not dumb. We know that this makes no sense, but let's move like past watching. that because we're having fun. So here's this. When we say this thing, you know that we're aware and we're not going to focus on it and try and explain to you how this could ever happen because that would be super boring. And to speak to Nico's point about the production quality specifically, I feel like that is why... It is so important to encourage jumping around to get to know the show and whether or not you would be into it. Because if you just try to watch series one, you're going to have a reaction to this show that was being given its second chance after six, third chance after 16 years when it had already been given a second chance over in America that failed. All of those stacked against Limey. it, plus just the fact that it was 2005 and the graphics were what they were inherently. Uh, you're going to get an impression by just watching that series. And so much about the show changes over time that it really is hard to get a good impression if you are only watching from the beginning Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. I also just want to say to your comment about graphics, it already looks like 80 miles better. And unfortunately, it's not going to get the same level of jump for quite a while. Uh, There's some things in Series 3 that look really sharp, but it's like they saved all of the budget for series three for just a couple of special episodes. I feel like it kind of happens again with series four. Um, but in series five, like there's such a, a vault in quality. It's astronomical. But here it already looks really beautiful. Well, but speaking of series three, uh, you had an alternate suggestion for a 10th Doctor episode uh, to go against this one. That is from series three. And so speaking of wibbly wobbly timey wimey. I get kind uh, the of episode that coined the phrase blink. I, this I is on my list ten. Yeah, Martha Martha Jones is like the most perfect lady in the entire. She's barely ever. in this one though. She's but I needed to have an episode with her. I just yeah. needed an episode with her on my list because she's perfect, and uh, uh, I love her. Yeah, I this was this was also high on my list, and I think you know <laughs> love from the doctor. Um. Carrie Mulligan before she was Carrie Mulligan. What a treat. Uh, And this is like, this is the episode that like when people tell you, if you want to know what makes Buffy the Vampire so amazing, Buffy the Vampire Slayer so amazing, watch Hush. This is Doctor Who's Hush. I feel like that is such a misnomer for both shows though, because yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. They are, they are definitely pinnacles of the show, and they really illustrate a lot of what the show is and what the show can do, but like... Can do, I, that, that's the phrase for me, yeah, what it I, can I, do. I, I love your comparison to Hush, though, because yeah. where so much of Buffy 
is the way they speak and Buffy's voice, so much of Doctor Who is the Doctor, and the Doctor is barely in this episode. And yep. yet, at the same time, through these little videos that help build the linear structure of the episode, so much of the things that we quote from the episode are from the limited amount of screen time that the Doctor even has. Totally. So, yeah. And I just think that, well, this is not one of my favorite episodes. Like, if you want my this episode, it's my choice for my next one. Okay. which is like one of my favorite episodes of anything ever. But okay. <clears throat> I think one of the things that makes this episode worth watching, even if you're not a really big, uh, this episode person, what makes it worth reinvestigating is blink offers you the opportunity to recognize how so much of doctor who is actually just classic sci-fi storytelling. You actually don't need it to be the doctor. It's any time traveler who's encountered these people. You don't need it to be these people. So then it becomes the mark of how do you make that story interesting? One of the things that we need to compare Doctor Who to comics again for is how much Chris Claremont and Doctor Who sort of borrowed and gave to each other over the years. Yeah. And of course, the famous story of uh, John Byrne said that he was going to stop working with Chris Claremont because Chris Claremont kept stealing ideas from other things. Uh, so he was going to come up with a story all by himself. And he came up with Days of Future Past, he claimed. And then uh, a couple of years later, he was in an uh, at a con in England and put on an old Doctor Who that he remembered and it's like literally the plot of Days of Future Past and he like publicly apologized in an interview. It's very funny. But um, one of the things that I think you need to point to is like Claremont recognized that the Doctor did not play with American audiences because he was kind of a soft boy and like that's okay but he's a little too soft for the American male who is identifying with He-Man for I have the power, right? Anybody who needs to see a really fascinating thing about that, go watch the toys that made us. But the thing that Wolverine does is Wolverine becomes the doctor and he brings on a young female companion and it's Kitty and then it's Rogue and it's Phoenix and it's Jubilee and it's all of these different women and the thing is that it's actually just iterations of that same partnership. This episode for me highlights the magic of this iterative ability to express character and idea through storytelling. And I think by recognizing the ways that those tropes sort of lone wolf and cub, this doctor and companion, this is really Mandalorian in some ways. And yeah they just go to a different planet and any episode of Mandalorian where it feels like the background characters are stealing the show. That's just a Mando light episode. And that's what this is. It showcases the universality of the idea that doctor who is based on science fiction is science. Reality is around all of us and could happen to us at any time. And that's the magic of blink. Even if it's not your episode. Nailed it. I just, you know, it's it's a really great piece of art. Yeah, it is. To, to talk about it anymore would be like <laughs> really dissecting it intellectually, which I would kill to do. Uh, but it's uh, this isn't even on the list technically. <laughs> no, the but only thing I to further oh. say about it is that it 
was built around a concept that had to be created out of necessity. It was part of what has become known as the Dr. Light episode of the series to facilitate with the amount of filming that the Doctor is required to do starting in the second series. They came up with a concept of Dr. Light that sometimes even carried into Dr. Light and Companion Light episodes where that gave the actor time off so they could do more filming. And like, isn't that something you've told me about Rick and Morty? Which not Rick and Morty. I'm so sorry, not that show. Uh, Solar Opposites, which I'm excited to watch. That there's like a, a Solar Opposites main plot light episode, where they yeah. kind of pivot to these side plots just for this episode. And like, I can't help but think that that's sort of an echo of the experience that growing up that. on Doctor Who informed these showrunners to experience. It's a feedback loop. I get it. But uh, I just need to say that I had to put on the sexy briefs and do like a real cute dance to make sure that this episode made it onto the list. Uh, I, 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 oh, the I, next one? Yeah, I wrestled another episode off. I, uh, I did the sexy dance. I did the flexing. I, uh, you know, I poured well, milk on myself. And let me say, let me let me speak on those alternate for alternates first. Then, just because originally, uh, in my heart, the the episode that went on the slot here next was series one, episode one, uh, Smith and Jones, mm-hmm. which series was three. the first is the first. What did I say? Series one, series three, yeah. episode one, uh, Smith and Jones, which is the first appearance of Martha Jones, whose first interaction with the Doctor is this adorable, whimsical thing right in the opening of the episode. It introduces the Doctor's grief suit, uh, which is blue with a red tie. Uh, uh, it's it, it's 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 got the Doctor and companion on the moon. I just I love Martha. This was the series that I started watching the show live, and so I Martha had such a hard job of being the next companion after the one who'd been on for two seasons left, and I think she did such an amazing job. Uh, David was clearly having fun in the role by this point. There's this moment where she says the classic, it's bigger on the inside, and he ad-libs, mouthing it along with her. Because he had just started to, as, you know, we say we think of it now as Robert Downey Jr. embodying Iron Man, but, yeah. you know, these actors really come to embody their doctors. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I think it was such a great one, um, but it was also right on the heels of series two it didn't really have the same jump in production quality uh so instead the episode that is on this list is series four episode one which is partners in crime it features the return of a character who had only been intended to be in one episode at christmas uh the runaway bride set between series two and three which is another great starting point uh to be honest uh and features the return of Catherine tate to the TARDIS as uh, a character who's just sort of lost and not really sure what to do with her life and regretting not deciding to travel with the Doctor. Pictured here is the two of them on uh, opposite corners, just continually missing each other. Uh, This is the scene that Nico mentioned earlier, the wino uh, up on the hill, Donna's grandfather and her telling him, you know, how she regrets it, the Doctor alone in the TARDIS by himself. And just these two, these two kids. So my favorite story, maybe on the planet, is that Donna was 
never, never, never intended to be a major companion. She was in the one episode, and then uh, there was going to be a new companion in series four, and a production producer, someone on 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 the on the TARDIS team, was having lunch with Catherine Tate, and she could not stop talking about how much fun she had. And that producer had the gumption to email Russell T. Davis and be like, "I think we could convince her." Because she was kind of a bigger star than the show. You know, she She was in her peak comedy era. Yeah, she had had this long running uh, sketch comedy show. She was really a household name uh, throughout the England and it's why they had her in that episode. Yeah, that was like a a, 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 almost a favor name. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, if, if she shows up and does one episode, it might give us a little boost. But, of course, we wouldn't even think to to write something for her that she could continue in because she's Catherine Tate. I'm trying to think of, like, a major American, like, a, a Mandy Moore comparison I was like, for this. I was like, Jennifer Saunders. Robin Williams. No. That's not I mean, Catherine Tate. You know, That's essentially, funny, but... unfortunately, it, America doesn't uh, tend to in uh to support women comedians enough for them to reach have something i can give an example that is it's not a a woman but it would have been as though uh ray romano took the job of replacing michael scott on the office after his very brief appearance what about tina fey could we say she's kind of like a tina fey sketch comedy show also has some you know dramatic chops yep and that's even what's interesting. He was like a new baby with Billy Piper, who was kind of like a new baby herself becoming who she was. And then Freema Adjaman just has such an unbelievable seriousness to her for all the ways she's funny. But then these two were the class clowns. Yeah. And this was the two of them blowing bubbles in the back being like, yeah, well, what you going to do about it? The class clown truants who, for the most part, just want to laugh. But if you push them, they both have such dramatic depths and they both get the opportunities to shine in in both those regards. So much this series, so much of this series was such a, a, a victory lap for Russell T. Davis as the man who pioneered getting the show back on television at at the time we would have known him best for creating the british original version of queer as folk where instead of the michael character being obsessed with comics he was obsessed with doctor who you know for which in, Russell in, T. Davies should still maybe go to prison but we'll set that aside later different time we all do things <laughs> I was really... it untrue was it untrue no sir it no. sure was not because I mean, then I mean, the whole cast of Euphoria is in a. a, a... Oh my oh, god! Absolutely jail! Absolutely jail! Jail forever. Um, now, I, I just want to say one thing that about all of this is this is actually such a great jumping-on point because it shows how strong the Doctor has become in trusting people. Mm. If you're using this list, the Doctor rejects Rose in many ways in the pilot and feels compelled to work with her. Mm-hmm. He needs her in new earth but that's obviously like there's something there and it's cute right it's that slow grow man's here this is best friends this is best friends immediately and you can see where they're so perfect together like 
it I talk a lot about perfect television runs. This is one of them. Like there is there was something unbelievable about every Saturday Kevo getting to you know my house and like pulling out his laptop and being like, Okay, I downloaded it, it's time to watch right now, and like being so excited, which is why my counter pick is kind of the opposite. Yeah. The one thing I want to note on my episode first though. Um, there is definitely one of all these things, and I, I, I there's so many different points where I'm like, yeah, continuity, whatever, it's whatever. There is one major thing in this episode that alludes to the disappearance of Rose and the potential mm-hmm. future of her, that that is sort of the thing that was keeping this off of my list originally. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it the way that it references back to her departure, the way that it references even Martha's departure... Um, while not having to focus too much on it and try to keep the story running, you know, at this point, as, as Tori points out, he just needs a mate, not to mate. And, uh, it was just good. Uh, I was gonna say, even though they make that joke, he says, uh, I, I just want to mate. And she hears it as I just want to mate. Uh, funny joke, the, uh, perfect example of their chemistry. It also, it's tough because the Doctor is too old to have a romance with any human, but if we set that aside, like the other stuff on Queerest Folk, uh, David Tennant, David Tennant and Matt Smith have such chemistry with every single person they come into contact with that no matter what happens, there is always a little bit of will they won't they there's always a little bit of romance there's always a little bit of what if this what if this companion or this guest star just let david tennant sweep them off their feet and Catherine tate is the first one where the chemistry is entirely platonic but it is like stronger even than any of the romantic chemistry that they have with every single other person and it is just so next level that they are supposed to be together in a way that is you never for a second are like but should they date you are like but should they keep making me laugh forever and the answer is yes and i'm so glad that you got to all of that point as the introduction to the episode that nico selected and talking about that there was this charm to the doctor and the way that he has these words and that everyone falls for him because uh as juxtaposition to all of that comedy and levity, the selection of this episode is very much the opposite. Yeah. So, oh, yes. uh, so uh, you talk about it for a second, actually. Uh, oh. This is another one that's kind of like Blink in that it's in my list of um, if you want to know what Doctor Who can do, not what it tends to do, not like what it's going to be like every week, but when it really wants to wow you and like, frankly, fuck you up, uh, yeah. this is a unique episode. Doctor Who uh, has a shocking amount of horror elements and horror tropes, but it is, of course, still a kid's show and they never do anything that is like gory. You know, they never do anything so horribly disturbing that you're like, yeah, I'd see that in a Saw movie. But every once in a while, they pick up a horror trope and give you something that universally for all ages is scary, but is still safe for a child to watch, which is a miracle to do no matter what. Doing that ever is phenomenal. That Doctor Who can do it 
relatively regularly, like usually once a season, absolutely once a doctor, uh, is such a phenomenal achievement. And this is, this will freak you out even if you are an adult. This is a scary episode, but I really wouldn't hesitate to also let a kid watch this and feel like they're, they'd they be fine. Uh, but, you know, it'd scare them too. And yeah, this is uh, a really great example of what Doctor Who can do. And, you know, I think that's even part of why it's here. It's just such a great example of the nature of... Um, I think just like the the encapsulated storytelling and just how just about anything can be superimposed into Doctor Who and work. And, and I'll say my uh, my Donna episode was again another uh, kill two birds with one stone because I did Santarin stratagem so that we could get a little Martha Jones in the mix as well. Uh, not as good as either of your picks. But again, we love, uh, you know, like the Daleks, the Santarans, another very regular Doctor Who alien, uh, love the efficiency of killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, this is this was when they started doing both uh, Doctor Light and Companion Light, because this was the Doctor Heavy episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really, there are so many episodes. There's another one that Nico selected later. There's so many episodes where they rely so heavily on the strength of the Doctor as a performer without too many special effects, without too many sets, without too much pomp or anything like that. And this is such a terrifying episode specifically for what happens when the Doctor isn't able to charm everyone around him. Mm -hmm. And the way that David Tennant plays this person forget time lord forget alien forget powerful genius that only will take you so far when your options are so limited and to watch him as he realizes that he's not going to be able to do anything here um and the way that he plays everything about this episode uh really was such an amazing selection for this list yeah i think that brings us halfway through our list yeah. so I feel like, alongside the fact that we've got a little bit of post-list content, that yeah. puts us snuggly at the halfway point. So I guess it's like um, like the seven and a half Doctor, right? So, um, you know, I'm very, uh, and you know, whatever halfway through the War Doctor is the Skirmish Doctor, I don't know. So um, I'm really excited because one of the things that this allows us to do is almost like take the same time break that the doctor kind of takes like it's not that there is actual space between the fifth uh, the fourth series of the specials and the fifth series of doctor who it's not that there's a huge gap between the matt smith and peter capaldi eras there's never more than like i think 13 months between episodes of doctor who um because they have so many specials if i'm not mistaken right but there's a definite thematic break along showrunner resets and i think that's a really great way to transition yeah. so i like think it. uh yeah i think we got a commercial coming up so uh don't forget uh like the doctor uh regenerate uh like subscribe grab a companion tell them all about how great the show is uh and travel with us through time space and youtube but also like and subscribe do it yes and we will be right back. Yay.
Oh, Kevin, mm -hmm. I see you. Uh, I see you are hard at work doing that unbelievable producer thing. Oh, you do. there Kevin, she is. Oh, you there's that gift, man. We love her. I'm oh, telling you, just like such a great design. As a guy with like size 13 wide feet, that makes me feel that makes me feel sexy. I could be that. I could be that in a big hat. Um, I was really well. I was into the classic Megazord. Um, you know, that was the show was coming on right as I was watching Saturday morning cartoons as a kid. Like that was like the perfect intersection. That and Next Men in the Animated Series. They were happening at the same time. That was it. Um, so the classic Megazord always did it for me. But then a little later, I really liked uh, some of the Zio designs, uh, the shapes, Ugh, the shapes. It's all about, I the, shapes. It's all about the shapes. That I was. I have to be honest. I I quit Power Rangers the third season because I got into like oh, boys the... and yeah, <laughs> um, and Kevo was like as an adult, like he was like, "Can we watch these shows together?" There it is. Can we go there through Power is. Rangers together. Yeah. I Zio is one of the finest children's shows I've ever had the pleasure of watching. Truly, one of the finest children's programs I've ever had the pleasure of interacting with. The characters represent ideals. They represent. Uh, failures to meet those ideals and then the desire to be better and it's just a fine fine piece of television oh and look they've even got a dalek <laughs> yeah i still don't oh uh, one of those two things is the easter island statue uh it's the one on the right i think i believe you and then the other one i don't know sure the other dalek. One is, oh god i can't remember what the name of the thing is called but there's a version of it in uh shin megami tensei it's like a guardian statue situation. Oh! You know what I'm talking about the eyes? Yeah. Oh, I love Shin Megami Tensei. Oh, me too. <laughs> but this is not a Shin Megami Tensei moment. We're talking Power Rangers and Megazords. God bless the fact that none of you can watch us dance backstage. So, <clears throat> uh, I'm so they'd love it. Uh, they'd love it as much as I hope the doctor does. You know, that's of course we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the world's coolest uh, space adventurer. Uh, it is so important to remember that when we're talking about the doctor, we're literally talking about a character with infinite understanding, uh, a character who is defined by the intolerance paradox. Uh, you know, the only thing he is intolerant of is intolerance. In fact, in fact. So I am such a big fan and I am so excited to be back to continue talking about Doctor Who. Uh, as the guy who's usually doing all the, the, the chitter chatter, um, I, I feel very backseat on this episode in a way that is very, I guess, <laughs> I'm the... Yeah, you're I'm, being real quiet today, Nico. In this one, I'm the... No, we I'm I'm the I'm the companion, which is it's fine. 
Um, I love it. My Chadich. It feels great. It's I yes. I'm Klingon. Oh my god! I'm like it's Klingon. What? No, I was like, what Doctor okay. Who character is that? Oh yeah. my god! Joni loves Chachi. <laughs> I was oh. like, yeah, like yeah. Um, guys, can we just say that Jinx is going to be on this show? Kim Chi would also do an amazing job on this show. Kim no, Chi's character is- work. Would Once be we so establish that one drag queen is going to nail it on this show, there becomes a long list of drag queens that ought to be on this show. And then pretty much are we not just doing uh, Doctor Who's Drag, drag Race, which maybe well, we should do. I just want Bianca to actually play the first American Doctor, Bianca Del Rio. Yes. Listen, we got to go back and stop people from sabotaging George Washington. I Space work all the time. I also want to say... I'm from we new, only... new, 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 new York. <laughs> new, 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 New York. Uh, exterminate! <laughs> I only want to point out, we only know Jinx Monsoon is right. going to be on the show. True. I'm kind of hoping that it's just she is the leader and it is an army of drag queens. True. Although, realistically, if she has henchmen, they're going to look like they belong in the pit crew. Mm-hmm. You know, just while know, we're on it, that. do you know who would be a phenomenal, uh, truly a phenomenal, very well-composed villain on this show? Give Jane Lynch a really powerful script mm-hmm. and let her dig into her depths. But, like, Jane Lynch is such an underrated actress. She's funny. She's dark. She's sharp. It's not all just jabs and being a lesbian. It's, you know, like, she's got a lot in there. And someone like Russell T. Davis, who can, like, the man can write when he really unleashes his words are so powerful. He comes up with these sound bites that somebody like Jane Lynch could enter like Cruella DeVille, like levels of that person. That's another actor, like how we've been trying to figure out and we landed on Tina Fey. Jane Lynch is another one who's very much known for her comedy. That's a great um, call. So Kevin. When she went to Broadway to do Miss Hannigan, everyone was like, what? Sue Sylvester, the woman who sang Super Bass on Glee. And uh, no, she killed it. She kills everything. She's great. We've loved her since the 90s. And yeah, she's definitely someone who I think could hold her own against the doctor. For sure. Man, I would. Oh, wow. I could do a whole episode of people that would be great on Doctor Who. I would love for something that is just not Whovian, like nothing Doctor Who related at all. But like equal footing just like its own thing and it's stanley tucci and he's basically naked the whole time i want to do an episode like our top 100 actors that don't do enough stuff like sci-fi that we need to see do stuff like sci-fi because there's so many actors that i'm like they'd be a great klingon they would be a great vulcan why have they not played a vulcan yet come on come on come on and and you know what we just because we're doing friends you know what david schwimmer you 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 could be in an episode. You could be a Klingon. Yeah. Matthew Perry'd be a good Romulan. Um, and you know, I would legitimate I don't care how how this is gonna I'd be not, any more emotional. I genuinely wanna see Lisa Kudrow as an admiral, like in Starfleet. I want Ooh, dramatic Lisa yeah. Kudrow. I want opposite of yep. sex, peak, peak drama, peak. Really, given that opposite Lyle Lovett goodness, 
right? I want that Lisa Kudrow. I want her to be a Starfleet Admiral. Hold over on this. You um, can deliver. And I only wish that because uh, I think I think he's passed away, right? Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Is Bobcat Goldthwait gone? No. Okay, then he could play a Dalek. That would be great. Ah, you know, I'm <laughs> and on that note, before commercial break, we got halfway through the list that I have created of uh, a sample platter uh, for Doctor Who episodes that I think uh, give a general gist of the show and can really tell you whether or not the show is for you. And we've been talking about that list ever since then, alternate suggestions, and just fun stuff about Doctor Who. Uh, we left off on Series 4, Episode 1, and now we are into a new era of Doctor Who. Everything up until this point had been under the uh, revival showrunner, Russell T. Davis. Uh, thank you, Tori. The hoo-hoo platter of eps, if you will. Um, and now we are under new showrunner, who is, and yet, a returning writer who had been on since the beginning, who wrote the episode we had previously mentioned, Blink. Uh, Stephen Moffat, who a lot of people loved as showrunner, and didn't I hear, this guy create coupling? Yes, yeah. yes, so, he like, did. He's not a slouch either. This is a guy who is famous for his character work, famous for his humor. Famous I'm not going to say the other show. To... I'm going to make Tori say it so I can flash her comment. Go ahead. You want to? You know you want to. What is he known for, Tori? Continue. Okay. Uh, so oh, sorry. <laughs> I just don't know the other show. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say it if it doesn't come up. Sherlock. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. <clears throat> um. Got it. Right. I forgot he uh, created the idea of Sherlock Holmes. So um, the British version of the Johnny Lee Miller show. Oh yeah. Uh, I was the Lucy Liu show. I got the Lucy, you're perspective. right. I'm so sorry. I only focus on the eye candy. I was like, oh, the male version of Scrooge starring. Uh, oh, no, that's Ebby. Wait, no, wait. Which one is the female Scrooge? Susan Lucci or Vanessa Williams? I confuse them all the time. The answer is it's both, actually. Is it really? Oh, my God. We have to do that double feature on this show. Okay, so um, what is the okay. episode we're so, talking about? But hold on. I, I do want to say. The man. Yeah. As the guy who serves the most little brother energy uh, on the planet, um, it just you know, unfortunately, horny little brother energy. Uh, that is exactly what Matt Smith serves huge amounts of, and why the Eleventh Doctor kind of drove me off the show, despite literally the most like if I was going to become capable of sustaining a heterosexual marriage. It would be to Amy Pond. Uh, oh my God, she's that's that's a woman. Oh my God, she's so strong and she's so capable. And like that, she would let you in her life makes you lucky. And like, I love Plus, everything. This is her every simp. So oh, you get two and, for the price of one. Yeah, well, you know she is a top. The doctor oh God, is a switch. Is. The doctor is pan. The doctor can and will do anything. Yeah, and Rory is a bottom. And it is the wildest group energy between the three of them in the best possible way. It's such an interesting thing, though, because I love many of the plots, the aesthetics of this se this series. 
the colors are so different. They use literally different colors for the 11th Doctor than they use for 9 or 10. It is TK, unlike... Can I zoom in on you so people can see your lovely background that I yeah, like? Yeah, please, please, please. Yeah. TK's got the 11th Doctor TARDIS interior. This is the 11th Doctor TARDIS, one of uh, a couple iterations. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say a few. Um, And this one is my favorite because it is the one that he mostly is in when he's traveling with these two companions, Amy and Rory, who, uh, you know, I think the three of them together are just uh, such a phenomenal bunch. Completely. Well, And actually, I really want to say one of the things that this era has for it that is a thing that always has haunted me is the doctor in series one through four embraces everything around him. He is a oneness being. But five through seven's doctor for me is closed off. And 11's main TARDIS has always looked to me like a submarine. It's always looked to me like it's meant to be seclusion. It's his private escape from how hard the world has become, almost like a fortress of solitude, which I don't want him to have. I actually really think in, I I think it's sometimes, but especially in the images, Kevo, that you've been flashing to, it almost looks like a kraken wrapping around Mm -hmm. the body of a submarine, protecting it, like he's hiding himself in another creature so you'll never find him. So I more and to go along with that, not the same, but in a similar vein, I always found it so chaotic to look at. Yes. It was almost too difficult for me to take in. Like, it's like its organs. It's yeah. the inside of a creature. Well, and, you was, know, this the, is the yeah. season in which he really starts to the, the show really starts to talk about what and who the TARDIS is. Uh, and it, it, it really starts early on with this one where like uh, th- this episode that we're talking about, the 11th hour, which is the introduction of Matt Smith as the doctor and the introduction of Amy. You get this moment where the tar- the box is on its side and the doctor sort of peeks up from. Oh, yep. Uh, you know, he peeks up from over it, and you just start to realize that, like, this is not just even the spatial idea. This is not just a you know, horizontal room that you walk into. This is an entirely different space. So if it is knocked over, even though you know you should be walking into essentially, you know, some kind of cockpit, uh, you are actually going down into a place that has things like swimming pools and libraries and... uh, Wardrobes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Like we'd been talking about earlier, so much of the early stuff wasn't able to really play around with around with the dimensions even the russell t davis era it was all just this one room there was an episode once where rose runs off to the wardrobe and she's told to take a left take a right but there's no doors in this room so i have always been like we have no idea so it always just while it was huge inside the smaller box it always just gave the impression of being this one large room and that had always been the case for the tardis whereas at this point it started developing levels and there were corridors and stairs that went off to places and that was part of what i found so overwhelming to look at was i almost couldn't figure out what where were the stairs exactly? It was yep. like an Escher painting, not in a bad way, just very chaotic. Yeah. And I just want to say, Kevo, I'm so sorry. I feel like I derailed the quality of the narrative that we were putting to your list. 
because your list was so inspiring for the conversation we were having and your list led me to so many ideas. So I would love to pivot back to 11th hour and make sure that we really highlight what makes that episode so great. I mean, we've really hit a lot of the points. It uh, was the fresh starting point post regeneration post showrunner and you know, right down to the time vortex itself took on a new appearance for the mm -hmm. first time in 60 episodes, uh, which was super jarring for a lot of fans, this fan. Um, but yeah, you know, the TARDIS goes through regeneration and we see what it's like for even something like this uh, creature that we are used to to change. Uh, this episode has a lot of time travel in it as well. The Doctor first meets this companion when she's a child and then zooms through her timeline ahead to when she's an adult. One of the really fascinating things about this episode is this and its series was always structured the way that it was, but there was a very brief period of time where this might not have been Matt Smith. This might have remained David Tennant and everything about this episode would have remained the same and it would wow. have been David Tennant's 10th Doctor being the one who crash lands in Amy Pond's garden and gets to know little Amy and becomes her imaginary friend and gets ensconced in her life in this way all from Stephen Moffat and that this all so much speaks to the way that these things are interchangeable and you can continue telling a story like that even when it isn't a fresh Doctor and I actually just, it made me think of something where you said that the script probably wouldn't have changed, right? It would have been exactly the same. Uh, Tori, there, I just wish I could like pop you in for this. It's Forum. It's just a thousand percent a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum by Sondheim, where Whoopi Goldberg and Nathan Lane and David Allen Greer have all played the lead in the same production. It's just that powerful something and I started, that's who the doctor is something i started doing especially during the 13th doctor's era was thinking like okay let me picture matt smith performing this scene mm. let me picture david Tennant performing this wow. scene. and i was always like yeah yeah it is still the doctor i still believe that this is very much in the spirit of the doctor you know everyone has their unique flavor but it is still the base substance well, and I think that the whole one of the things you really do throughout a run, a, a doctor's run and throughout the series is get into those little ways that they're different. The ways that the doctor has changed because of the regeneration and because of his circumstances. Uh, in many ways, they are not the same person. But this is actually a really phenomenal example of sort of both sides of the coin, because so much of this episode, the 11th hour, you really can see how it could be David Tennant. Um, and an example where that works sort of in the opposite way is you can see how if it were David Tennant, there would be no chemistry or even hint of a relationship between he and Karen Gillan. He'd be uh, pushing her off. I, I would get. Know, I don't even know if she not would be super into him. Yeah. I would get twelve bill. That's what I would have. Think, I would feel like yeah. it, they would have had a very twelve bill relationship. Yeah. Which again, anybody who ever speaks badly of 12 needs to just not be on our show but with matt smith when he shows up into adult karen gillen's timeline immediately they have a chemistry that 
there is not the same will they won't they vibe uh as there is with like uh billy piper but there is just like a tension between them that the show then uses to kind of highlight the fact that this is a younger doctor this is a little brother doctor and i just i you absolutely would not have gotten that with tenant but this episode really in a lot of ways still could have been tenant and it would all make sense and be the same and i so, feel like in, i feel like in that regard a lot of amy's reactions to the doctor and you know having a crush on him not really being sure if she has a crush on him it speaks to you know there are there are things that other writers do that i'm like i don't know if i'd be as comfortable writing a story where it's kind of like you're tackling the idea of you're young and impressionable and kind of have a crush on your cousin and mm -hmm. that's really awkward because you don't understand and then you know it really is like you're saying so you keep saying little brother energy and that really is so much of the doctor and uh amy's energy ultimately is very sibling because yep. they they feel very close in the same age because of his visage uh you know Russell T. Davis had talked about David Tennant's doctor sort of being a lot like Billy Piper and, and Rose, almost like he imprinted on her. And it feels mm -hmm. in a lot of ways like Matt Smith's doctor imprinted on Amy and what Amy sort of needed that character to be. And it's mm -hmm. why I actually, I'm so glad you pointed to the OT3 uh, because it was tough watching the first series of this, not knowing if Rory was going to just be a joke. Right. I loved Rory and the fact that he became such an integral part of this era. And you really, you know, Amy is the spotlight, but she doesn't function as a companion without having Rory there with her. Yep. Even when he's secondary, it's not like Rose's family. It's not like Martha's family or even Donna's. Rory really needs to be a part of her story. And um, I think that really helped take the edge off of any romantic chemistry between amy and the doctor by focusing on that and being like no we're, they are the love story it is yeah. amy and rory and we want you to root for that you know because he also becomes rory's little brother too little brother-in-law whichever you want to call it like he does owe rory something as well and rory is not an afterthought for the show or for him and so even yes. though a lot of it really is him and amy kind of arm in arm going through the forest they're never leaving rory behind it's just a matter of how do they refocus to always work him in because they do love him so much and i think it does really work to uh ground their silliest impulses that if it were just the two of them they might kind of just flitter off and be a little bit difficult to watch yeah and they then frequently get to put him in positions of acting like he's the fritterer or he's yes, the yeah. silly one when he ends up being not. silly in the way of like really you still haven't realized that this is what's going on well, um what do oh, you got I'm, i want to break in with my my suggestion for supplemental to this which is my favorite yeah. episode of doctor whoever yeah. and contains what is like Again, Tori, I literally don't know how to talk without you next to me sometimes. I'm always, I, I talk to, these are the two people I talk to the most in the whole world. And of course, Jonah uh, right up there. And I'm constantly like, oh, well, Tori would get this. Mm -hmm. um, 
legitimately i say it like three-fourths of the day but like anyone who ever saw alice ripley sing you don't know really understands what i mean that there can be one second that changes your life and that for me is peter capaldi's eyes in day of the doctor it shocks me it it aches i ache when i see is that your episode pick oh yes and it's my episode pick actually not for that moment okay but because we learn more about who the doctor is in these two young men being faced with their old man self than we could and like as a guy who i've always prided myself on older people being interested in who i am to the actual like in high school, I didn't have a lot of friends. You know, we joke about like, you know, oh, I was this guy or that guy. And like like many young gay people, my personal life was a secret to my school, but there was always someone who knew. And for me, there was a, a, a just eight years older than me. She was the librarian in my high school. And I learned so much about myself from her reactions to the things I said. And I am lucky enough to be in a relationship with a somewhat older gentleman. He's 12 years my senior. And he reacts to some things I say. And I so much see who I want to be in that. And the chain of that in this episode of television. It is such a reward for someone who has seen even two doctors. Even three doctors. This connective tissue of the war doctor 10 and 11 sharing growing sharing healing you know people talk about how Encanto was about generational trauma for latin people this must have been about generational trauma for you know anglos and i'm so happy they have this because between clara is like actually a perfect character in fiction don't want to hear it from anybody you can fuck right off if you don't get it not my problem she is and just this billy piper's perfect performance there was not a bad minute there was not a moment wasted and it rewarded fandom for growing with it and i just feel like this really is a great support to kevo's perfect pick of the 11th hour but i don't think it works without it i don't think i could say day of the doctor in place of 11th hour it really requires that basis for who 11 is and what he's lost and i would maybe argue that it actually needs like a lot more than that um this like borders on like you know one of the ones another buffy one i always want people to see restless but i never show them restless because the breathtaking beauty of restless really only makes sense if you've seen a lot of buffy and you understand the psychological uh profiles of each of the characters that are sort of highlighted by that show there's a lot of stuff in here that i think you know like if you were to have watched just the other stuff on the list uh including 11th hour i still don't know that you would get enough about the time war uh and the doctor's journey to really get what's happening here uh on top of that you would really i think you really should not watch this unless you get to see the paul mcgann short um oh my god that perfect perfect short yeah uh 
So I, this is a phenomenal, it's one of the best. This is like, uh, you know, we've talked about Blink and um, what was the other things. episode? Thank you. Um, as being episodes of like what Doctor Who can do. This is like, what level can Doctor Who reach? How high can this show soar? This is such a perfect example of that. I think it's a really difficult, isolated watch. Um, my pick was Power of Three because it is one Ooh, of the few. Great one. They go nowhere. Um, they they they're not going anywhere, which I think is just funny. Um, I you know I like Eleventh Hour better for a ton of reasons, uh, but I I thought Power of Three because on top of the fact that you do get a Rory and Amy episode, you get well what happens when they're not on the TARDIS, uh, which. Not a, a a very frequent thing, but it does happen. And, uh, the oh. Power of Three from Series Seven was actually uh, is actually an episode that is on one of my longer Doctor Who short cut, cut lists because I nice. really, really, really strongly agree. Uh, it's super hardcore, illustrates the passage of time yeah. uh, and what it is like in the daily life of a companion and. I don't know if you'd noticed, but it was written by the next showrunner, Chris Chibnall. Yeah. And so that's something that I get think little, is really cool about it as well. a little taste of what he's going to bring to it. Yeah. No. Uh, you had something when we were drinking. What? What? I thought you had something when you were drinking, no? Oh, no. I'm just really... One of the things that's so great about this is Doctor Who is such a kind of a world to step into, right? Like, you can walk in and out of comics you can walk in and out of star trek in and out of star wars you probably can't do that with fandoms that don't generate as much content because it's not always there to come back to and see it's grown and step back into it this has just been a really fun day just talking about how much we love doctor who yeah. so like i'm just having a lot of on-air reactions um i would even say that sorry if you want to oh. go I just think the other thing that I it really genuinely looks like Eleven can't believe uh, War Doctor's dick, but I just really want to point out he's horrified. Um, I just want to point out that I love that everybody's kind of got different reasons for everything. Your ex Doctor Who experience is different from TK's, is different from mine, and that is the hallmark of a powerful work that each one of us has a unique experience because like, I don't really love the episode you guys are mentioning, but I love that it's on your list. So I love seeing the ways Dr. Who fandom takes different like veins, like there's different like flows. And that's something that's rewarding for me as someone who studies media, as somebody who wants to create more media than I already do understanding what makes Dr. Who work is understanding kind of like the flow of time. And, and I, you know, I guess I would say maybe like not to like demand that everybody become a Doctor Who fan and say you must watch Doctor Who. <laughs> no, do it. But if, you know, you're hearing this and you're like, I maybe I should get into it. And then you look at this list and you watch a couple of them and you're like, no, I still don't like it. It's actually still possible that you really might love this show. And just this list was not your list. And you just needed different episodes because you're a different type because you are a Nico type versus a me type versus a Kevo type versus the dozens of other types I'm sure that are out there so really like uh you know should you hear this and get all the way to that point uh 
consider that maybe you want to give something else a try, get input from another fan, maybe just start watching and barrel through it for a bit, because I think there really is a good chance that even if these episodes were not for you, the show as a whole might really still be. Mr. Kevo. Uh, and I wanted to say, in addition to all of that, and, um, sorry, sort of lost my train of thought. That's all good. Not I feel like even, I feel like even this episode, um, in many ways, for as much as we were talking about how continuity heavy it is and how much it isn't really as engaging if you don't understand some of the concepts, it was they attempted to structure it in such a way that it could still be exciting and engaging and intriguing yeah. and something that can pull you in and any of the things that you might not be as aware of. It's meant to intrigue you more than yep. it's meant to repel you. It's definitely not inscrutable on its own. Like, uh, you know, Restless is basically, if you haven't seen a lot of Buffy, you can't understand Restless. It would basically make no sense to you. This is not that at all. I just think the payoff as a fan was so enormous, having seen everything and gotten to this point. So <clears throat> I'm really excited to take a look at the next episode on the list because... One of the things that I think makes your Doctor Who experience so unique is which Doctors you identify with and don't. Like I said, as much as I see myself in Eleven, I'm not a fan, right? And that's that's fine. It's, you know, whenever anybody's like, why aren't you a bigger Ed Sheeran fan? Is it because he's got your career? And I'm like, no, it's because I'm not for the legalization of citizenship for Muppets. But, um... <laughs> I and Where's that hand been? That's a joke. Oh, I love that. Um, it's Taylor Swift's. Um, I actually am for the citizenship of Muppets. Uh, just see our recent coverage of the incredible and Kevo approved uh, Muppet Mayhem. Right. But I genuinely love 12. Uh, I always thought 11 was a young guy who was an old man. And I love that 12 is an old man who's like a big baby. And I'm a big baby sometimes. As much as I want to be taken seriously as like an adult, I'm always like, I identify with 12. And everyone's like, why? You don't, you're nothing like him. And I'm like, well, I am. And they're like, no, on you're your, not. On your bad days, you're an 11. On your good days, you're a 12. Yeah, but I'm always a suburbs 10. Yeah. Um, Just 10 in general. Totally agree with all those points, especially, you know, the, the flip for uh, Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi. This is really not my doctor at all. I see why he's so good in the role. Like, it's not at all that I'm just like, he's, he's, he's no good at this. It's a terrible casting choice. Just something for me didn't quite resonate. Um, I think... You know, if I could say anything, it was that he felt like the type of person that would have been chosen to be a doctor in the original series. Yeah. And because we really had kind of gone in a different casting direction, it made me nervous that they were just going to go back. 
And what I think actually ended up happening was that he anchored the idea that it wasn't going to be like that. It really could be anybody because, you know, we had Eccleston, Tennant, and Matt Smith before this. And then after this, we get Jodie Whittaker. We now know we're getting Chudi Gatwa. Like, it really can be anybody. So to pull back for a second and give a chance to somebody who resembles much more the type of actor who would have gotten the role in the past. Actually, I think the play kind of works very well. It's just at the time, it just didn't quite resonate with me. Uh, I also loved uh, Peter Capaldi in, um, oh God, uh, in the thick of it. And, uh, what's that? I did love I him fires upon that too. He was on because he was yeah. on Doctor Who before he was the Doctor. So I'm naming yes. two other things he was in of Doctor yes. Who before the twelfth Doctor. Um, no, I loved him in the thick of it, and I'm just forgetting the name of the uh, TV show by all the people or the movie by all the people who did the thick of it. That is like a very similar concept. But I loved him as a comedian. And Knives a comedian out with the foulest mouth you have ever heard. And it was a little difficult for me to watch him be the doctor who could never say fuckity bye. Um, and he wanted to so bad. And you, you know tell. he wanted to, but uh, he's an incredible actor and did phenomenal to, in the role. To speak to what you're saying, though, about the way that each character, each doctor, each yeah. performer is different, even this doctor specifically, I really hear where you're coming from, especially at the start of the 12th Doctor's run. Series 8 was a lot of really weird and kind of weak stories and it was coming off of the culmination of Matt Smith's big arc. They started feeding some major stories in the very first episode of Matt Smith's arc and developed this mystery over the course of all of his episodes to the point where it culminates and climaxes and you finally get all these reveals in his final episode and frankly at the time it kind of felt like it was a year earlier than it was supposed to be like we were supposed to get another year of matt smith mm -hmm. and so maybe that kind of threw things off and so we didn't know what to expect with a new doctor from a showrunner in the middle of their showrunner run because stephen moffat had not expressed that he was leaving anytime soon we didn't know what to expect from the 12th doctor and we were really expecting something similar we thought we were going to get an arc and we literally never did uh there are season arcs the way that there had started being from the beginning of the show but there was no cumulative the 12th doctor's start to regeneration arc and that's something that really made the first season very jarring where i was like oh this is what they're building no they weren't they weren't doing anything so any expectations i had at the time were not fulfilled I, I i just think your point is so great i hear a thesis that actually draws across your whole list nine is so afraid to live because everyone he knows has died 10 is so about every moment of his day 11 is kind of like a giant baby about everything because he's such an old man you're you're really right by the point of 12 i don't think there's quite the same overarching story nine is learning how to have friends again 10 is learning that as an immortal he kind of does have to let go like 10 can't stay 10 forever just because it's been really fun being 10 and nine was scary and 11 is like, well, I'm going to be even better than 10. And he can't do it because you can't be better than yourself. You're you. But 12 had no arc, but I'm 
old. That was it. And it's a really beautiful testament to, I think, your list. Your list, which highlights almost like, it's almost like Crocktails. And um, the way you said that season eight had a lot of weak episodes, think about how many classic shows don't get to eight seasons. Yeah. So I see you have a a one. Um, And the thing about, I, I really love your point of, his story is kind of just that he's old because one of the things that they do accomplish narratively with that doctor then that I hadn't considered from that perspective is they show a lot of different ways to be old. Yes. In his first season, he's kind of a lot more expectedly old. His main line is always grumpy, but in the first season, he's a lot more formal the way you would expect him to be in his second season. He takes on this, um, almost two-thirds life crisis rockabilly persona where he's got a guitar. He employs the use of sonic sunglasses, which I fucking loved. Love. Uh, and then in this series, and the reason that I picked this episode is he takes on a persona that is one that we hadn't really seen much before, but really feeds so perfectly into his personality of he becomes a professor. Mm-hmm. And his background arc and home base of this season is that he is teaching at a college uh, and he is a lecturer and he becomes a tutor to a young woman who works at the university named Bill Potts. And she uh, becomes the companion and uh, is a lesbian, (gasps) which is something that cannot be stressed enough. The very first episode Uh, is about something happening to a young woman that she has feelings for. And that's something that you would have regularly seen for companions happening as their introductory episode throughout the run. But hey, it's for a queer character for once, which was fantastic. Uh, She is such a great companion. Uh, They had to do a weird thing with production this year where they released a preview of the companion a year before the series started. That was weird. I don't know what that was about. There was a secondary companion in Matt Lucas, which was very funny. After he had appeared in the Doctor Who parody episode of Community. Inspector Space Time. He was a companion on the actual Doctor Who in that sequence. Go figure. Um, But yeah, I, I, I really felt like this not only was... I felt like for all those reasons, this was the best example to show of Capaldi. To show, like such a removed period of his life he's really starting fresh after having just lost a companion and yet we can tell that there is an amount of space for that for him as even at this point and you know i really love this tardis so much Mm. this tardis is really one of my favorites uh anybody who knows a little bit about uh kind of like american tourism history there is a thing called luna parks which uh you know that's what the original coney island looked like and it was a very victorian carnival sort of look and i'm just uh getting the name of something real quick um so uh it all looks very kind of like the little prince by uh antoine de saint esprit i had to look up the name because i was never going to get that off the top of my head and you love um, it so you want to get it right yeah i really do and uh i think there's a beauty to the simplicity of 12. There's an aching to his design that he knows his time is coming 
early somehow it's weird to talk about because he's young he's energetic like i actually really love his and craig ferguson's friendship the actor uh, uh that you know peter capaldi that plays 12 because the two of them have such a great time and uh they really share in being friends and i think it's a really interesting relationship that they have uh because you would never think that 12 is the funny funny high energy guy he is but through seeing him with his real friend you get this dichotomy and i wonder how much of my love of 12 is understanding that dichotomy and knowing what a funny guy he can be because it's sort of where my choice for the episode i picked to support kevo's choice is heaven sent uh it's such an incredible episode that sees the doctor uh fighting against a time loop and just how strong Peter Capaldi's performances can be. It is a masterclass in really challenging an actor to be better than they've ever had to be. And I just think it's a staggering achievement in taking the Doctor to new places. So much of Doctor Who, when we came back from the revival, was about shock and bigger and badder and crazier. And because that's what TV became. But this got to appreciate the breaking badification of television. This got to revel in putting the thought back into event television. And it said, Doctor Who can do that. We've been doing that for 50 years. Don't you worry. And they did it with an actor who gave one of his finest performances, Sans Companion, who defined his run. That's an unbelievable statement. And I just think Peter, Picall, uh, Peter Capaldi deserves a lot of credit for what he did in 42 minutes that many people would struggle to achieve in a season. This is my pick too. Um, Hot. <laughs> I, I get it. I almost went with Into the Dalek. I tried to find a Missy episode. Uh, I realized that Missy episode is not a good idea if you haven't seen any Master episodes. Um, and um, yeah, ultimately, you know, I again, Kev, I think you picked the the right one as the survey class intro, um, and I think this is like the other ones. What can this show do? It can give you these moments where uh, a man can act basically by himself and make you feel like uh, there is a cast of a hundred that are assembled before him making this whole thing happen. There could be a hundred actors in a room. There could be a hundred doctors in a room. <laughs> one regeneration. It takes one TARDIS. You know, and with all this talking that we've done, I guess... If I had to put my finger on any sort of arc for this doctor, I would probably put it on just the concept of mortality yeah. and coming to terms with it. This was at a point in the doctor's own story where uh, the showrunner had made a choice of there were all these rumors for years and years and years about a limit of regenerations and people being like, what's going to happen when they reach it? And this showrunner said, fuck it and fuck you and we're never worrying about it again i've decided and so instead this doctor um is sort of dealing with the idea of non-mortality mm -hmm. and not knowing when his story is going to end and if you had a specific life expectancy for yourself for so long and you're told that's not something to worry about anymore you're not really immortal 
but don't don't worry about it the way you were worrying about it what do you even think uh especially for a character like the doctor who had to put so many companions uh in the grave whether it was due to his actions or just due to the fact that he's so long lived and you can't really conclude an arc like that i guess it's just a thing that you have to deal with as a mortal being when you're a time traveler and immortal can you really ever have any friends who you won't see their grave so that's kind of the nature of the hard part of being the doctor you know you can always go to that sad moment but you know that's i think one of the things that doctor who balances the best because yeah heaven sent is really dark and midnight is really dark and blink is kind of even dark so i guess i picked a bunch of and dalek's kind of dark i guess i picked the bummers but happens uh, it's 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 about finding the joy in the bummer is i think a huge thing for doctor who as well and i think that's even a huge element of the first episode selected for the 13th doctor Hey girl. Uh, the first episode of series 11, the woman who fell to earth, because for as much as it is the doctor, uh, it's also not. And in a very unique turnabout, at least so far for the revival, can't speak too much for the original. Um, we're introduced to a group of characters uh, who are meant to be the new companions. And one of them doesn't survive. And, you know, speaking of all of the thoughts on mortality and the ways the doctor represents that, we are introduced to this group of four different people um, in the first episode between uh, Graham, his grandmother, uh, and his adopted grandfather, and uh, a woman who starts as a cop, we forgive her, because she becomes awesome. And uh, they sort of all run across the doctor in that way that people do and she creates havoc for them as the doctor often does and you know as far as first episodes go i really think that it does represent the sharp turn in tone production the cameras are different the music is different the writers are different the only returning writer for this era is the showrunner chris chipnall who had not really written a ton, ton of episodes before this and is very controversial. But if you can look past that to enjoy some lesbian overtones, uh, you'll get some amazing things from the 13th Doctor for sure. I would also enjoy the uh, Say Uncle video that can be generated from this series. No, stop it. I hate you. I'm removing you. I'm removing you. <laughs> Remove. Remove. You're gone. You don't get to play anymore. That's not even the right studio. I'm just saying. But I really do think there is something incredible about the amount of chemistry in this era. This is such a great choice. I had trouble coming up with a support episode because I think you're right. You know, Chris Chibnall, a little questionable. But one of the things that this era did that I don't think enough people paid attention to was it reacted to the 1980s nostalgia retro of Stranger Things. This it just wanted to have a good time with the VSF, the VHSification of Doctor Who. This really just it just wanted to have a silly time around the campfire. It's almost like they said we're not putting Doctor Who into a children's show at 4 p.m. But what if we did a children's show at 4 p.m. for adults in prime time? What if we took the chance and aged 
up the show's younger identity without sacrificing what made it unique and pure. I don't know. There's a lot of heaviness to this era. And sure, a lot of things that people might find adult. But the other thing this era has is a really positive spirit. And so much of that goes to Jody's performance. Yeah, um, this is the kind of the toughest series to ruminate on in actually a lot of good ways because it is kind of the most straightforward. Uh, and it is kind of the one that I, you know, there are actually some bonkers meta plots, but they're not really to get into them here would get into a whole other zone. And I think um, that which is not meta plot tends to be a lot more straightforward. It's also it comes at such a late point in the timeline that more or less, if you've been listening to what we've been talking about throughout, you know what you will be getting at this point. But what you don't realize is that you will be getting it uh, for the first time from a woman portraying the doctor that you will have a new showrunner in the mix was a very distinct style that is notably different from the other two showrunners and that this one really uh i find is better absorbed episode to episode and i mean they all are i shouldn't say is somehow miraculously like different than the other ones but this one doesn't really benefit as much from talking about it i think is my point Something that I noted when I I rewatched a bunch of the second series of the 13th Doctor into the miniseries 13th series flux to get ready for the, the, the regeneration episode. And as I was watching it, something that really caught my attention about this uh, era of the Doctor and where these companions are from and a lot of just the humor and style. It really made me think of something we talk about a lot with shows that are based in the northeast of america and how they will make references that are so specific to new york um they make a myers they make a jacoby or is it binder and binder that they reference on the name and the fact that we can talk about that so comfortably i I'm going and to go to beautiful Mount Airy Large, where all you have to bring, to bring is your, is love, your of love of everything. everything. And it sort of felt like where most of Doctor Who has been based around London and a lot more universally understood concepts of the UK. This kind of felt like if they decided to center an era of Doctor Who around Pittsburgh or something instead. <laughs> Maybe even Chicago. But it's right down to the fact that in the first episode, the Doctor making her own new sonic screwdriver makes it out of Sheffield steel, which is, I guess, a thing. I don't know anything about Sheffield, except that it Mr. Sheffield from The Nanny. I don't know as much about the geography of the UK, much as they don't know a ton about the geography of New York, and they probably wouldn't get the Binder and Binder, Jacoby and Meyer, J.G. Wentworth jokes that are made uh, on our shows. And I think that's something that a lot of international audiences probably had a reaction to as well, of, you know, this was the guy who took the job. No one else was stepping up, and this was the show that he decided to make. Uh, I just want to say that we have a vacation home in Muncie. Um, yeah, I know. I know they make jokes about Muncie, Indiana, on Parks and Recreation, and I know someone from Indiana who was like, "Those jokes are absolutely hysterical. Those jokes are amazing." And I'm like, "Okay." 
but that's and, that's sort of the nature of nuanced humor like that and you can't exactly fault an artist for wanting to cater to their own interests even when it is something that is such a huge brand and no one says that to be funny your references have to be about new york you know as a guy who's from new york sorry about it you know yeah but i do think that one of the things that this era did was it purposely kind of scaled down a bit uh the narrative that they tell with the incredible uh you know timeless child that whole thing is so powerful and maybe a little too hidden in the background at times but it's a really exciting time to be a doctor who fan and it's not that i didn't think this was a great episode but for me the episode that really exemplified what a powerhouse this era could be and uh, in a way that really supports your points is the the power of the doctor this is the sort of goodbye to 13 and it is a bummer but um you know it is such a weird story and it is such a sort of out of nowhere story and it's a little wacky and the whole thing's over dramatic but it actually shows how even in a dramatic waggy over the top story where the master and the doctor switch forms, I can't even, uh, which is exactly the same thing that Davos tried to do to iron fist just a season earlier. I'm on to you, Sasha. Um, I leave blonde alone, right? Ugh, ugh. right. I think that it shows how strong you can forge a character into the Hooniverse in a way that each one of these characters gets a beautiful goodbye and manages to be who they are. And none of it feels like goodbye forever. And that's, I think the art of the 13th doctor, everyone's welcome. Doctor who is always saying how everyone is welcome. No, I'm sorry. Just white men have been welcome so far. And this was an era that saw a female doctor, a female doctor of color, companions of color be taken seriously as leads in stories. It saw an old man be real sexy. It was, hey, it was uh, just a, a time of can do. And I really feel like this as a support to Kevo's episode really paints a picture of how great Jody was as the doctor. Please. Teague, thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you nailed it. This, this is, you can't watch this one unless you've watched a lot of the other stuff. Uh, yeah. Again, it's a phenomenal reward. But uh, this one you, like, almost can't fully enjoy unless you've seen a bunch of the uh, original series. Because one of the conceits of this is that a lot of the companions from the original series have a support group. <laughs> for uh people have been abandoned by the doctor um and it's it's i mean it's actually beautiful it's very sweet there's so much there's so much to say about it but like this is one of those ones where you so benefit from having seen everything when you get to this the culmination of not just the series but when you watch it when it aired the entire show it was really it was the last episode you would get until we do the next uh doctor in the next season so uh big payoff um but uh, not one that you could watch in a vacuum and understand anything 
on top of the fact that it is nanosacks, so you really will not understand anything. So, you know, Kevo, how do you feel about looking back at your list, this six amazing episode arc, adding in some support episodes, our feedback? How do you feel about your Is Doctor Who For You list? Well, I mean, really, I, I would be asking you guys more how you feel about it. Um, but I I still feel pretty solid about it. I appreciate all of the additions and addendums and suggestions. Um, you know, this is just such an exciting time to be a Doctor Who fan. I, you know, my main line for the Chris Chibnall era was, like I keep saying, he kept the lights on. But I really do think that he came up with some interesting concepts. Uh, I perhaps feel like I sensed some duration at the mention of the Timeless Child, which is a common thread. Uh, but it's something that I really loved, and it's a change or evolution of the character that I really enjoyed, most specifically because I feel like we're not evolving the character, we're not evolving the concept, and we're not doing new things for this franchise in ways that we could be. One thing I was thinking about the other day that I would love to see if Russell T. Davis would push the boundaries on is not always a blue box. Look. I know, but it could always go back to being a blue box when they want it to be. It's been 60 years now. What if, even if just for an era of like five years, we did a story where the TARDIS chameleon circuit was working again? I believe they did something like that for a very brief period back in the 70s or 80s. But again, how much have we talked about the evolution of the TARDIS as a concept since that era? And the things they can do with it now. I'm picturing a different like form of materialization. I'm picturing so many different things that you could be doing. And it's why I love the idea of bringing in the Timeless Child. And introducing the concept of there are doctors before the first doctor. And you don't know how many there are. And you don't know what they did. So now instead of only being able to move forward with the doctor we could meet a doctor from the past that the doctor has never met it expands the concept and the brand and i think that's what we need to be doing i would love to see spin-offs about other time lords i'd love to see spin-offs about the 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 this group of companions i feel like that was a, an attempt to set up a potential for uh stories with these characters the gentleman on the right here is the one of the first companions of the set of two companions from the original series and this return set a world record for gaps in appearances as characters 57 plus years wow and that set a world record by having this character come back. And there's just so much you can do with this history. And there's so many things you can do to evolve the brand. Uh, I want to see Doctor Who's Star Trek Discovery. For all the ways in which it's controversial, it got people thinking. And it got people wanting to make the best Doctor Who they can again. And that's what we are in with Star Trek in so many ways. And I hope that's what we're entering for Doctor Who. And, you know, I think one of the things I loved was just tracing the major moments by your list, because one of the things your list helped me see is you didn't pick a single Christmas special. You didn't pick 
any of the David Tennant specials, which were hyped to be like little movies. You didn't pick the Jody uh, little movie specials. You picked episodes that talk about the core of the show. So by highlighting episodes that talk about the core of the show and not the event episodes, it's sort of like saying, yeah, everybody knows that uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame are unforgettable. But do you remember how many amazing moments there were in Civil War or Winter Soldier? Do you remember, you know, the steps in Captain Marvel that led to her amazing moments in Endgame? And it's so easy to see the tent poles and miss that magic that's underneath. So I really love your list for highlighting that like core of what Doctor Who is. And God damn, is it cool to see him back in the suit, you know? Because well, I think, you know, that's a big about moments between... like this, but yeah. No, go please. Sorry, I think that's a big difference between movies and TV. Like they have to make Infinity War and Endgame so that you can go see it if you haven't seen anything else. And I think you do really miss out on a lot. And like Marvel's really stretching the boundaries of this idea uh, with the entire MCU. And it's something they'll have to reckon with. But like Infinity War and Endgame were still designed that like if you had never seen one before, you should be able to go in and enjoy. I do think the event episodes of Doctor Who, while they really do try, while they really do live by the comics idea of every episode could be somebody's first, uh, they also, you know, they're not good episodes to watch as your first, as your only. Uh, this list, the ones that Kevo came up with, I think are really fantastic ones to watch as your first. And while I do think I love this order and I would watch all of these in this order to get it, should you like be like, I can't stand Chris Eccleston, I can't watch him on screen. If you start with Tenant episode, or if you love Matt Smith so much you want to start with that one, that's okay. These are ones that you can watch in some degree of isolation. And, you know, I I love the current use for the 60th anniversary of this diamond-shaped logo for the yeah. series logo. It is, uh, it's predominantly heavily influenced by a logo from the 70s, which is featured on our sidebar over there as well. But um, this one has the diamond on it. It's got the 60 years uh, because, you know, 60 is the diamond anniversary. But one of the things I love that it draws attention to um, and... I really feel like speaks to what you're saying as well is, you know, the diamond is made up of its corners. Those are the tent poles. Those are the things that shape it. But there's so much more to the overall structure of this thing that is so beautiful. It is about the smooth edges. It is about the lines. And that really is what the television episodes are. And it's about what the day to day of the series is, you know, so many things are these amazing moments and these big things like the 13th Doctor regenerating into the 14th Doctor, who all of a sudden is David Tennant and what's going on and it's exciting. But that's not every single episode. It's what we said at the top, which is the core structure is this monster of the week sci-fi show set against the backdrop of history. And I really love you highlighting that the same guy is playing the Doctor in 2006 and 2023 because it's exactly and what we... Oh. And not the same one, but still playing the Doctor at a right. different stage. It just speaks to how this is such a versatile medium, that there is such a wealth, that if you start with this list, there's just so much more to find. And so, yeah, uh, this has been a lot of fun. And this was, believe it or not, the short 
round of this. This was sort of getting our uh, legs wet on figuring out how we feel about Doctor Who and introducing it as a concept to our brand. Uh, something that I'm looking forward to examining later is uh, something these gentlemen have decided to indulge me in, which is a much longer shortcut at some point that I am still working on the full final draft of. It is an expansion of a project I did five years back where I made sort of a Doctor Who in 55 or so episodes list uh, that, you know, like I've been saying, this show is now, then it was 144, now it's 175 episodes. That's a lot. And so it's taking an examination of what are the tent poles, what really embodies the spirit of each doctor. And I did that by mathematically calculating how much time each doctor had appeared, figuring out what number of episodes each one should get based around that. Like I really worked on this. And so now I want to build it out for the upcoming 60th anniversary to include the 13th doctor. And it's just something we'll probably start doing a little bit more. You know, we've got our bracketeering, we've got deal breakers still coming up and shortcuts is something that I just think is a really cool and fun concept in this era of peak television, of binge television. There's so many shows like this that are so long. Each 90s Star Trek is as long as the revival of Doctor Who so far. That's so much. So if there's ways that you can sort of zoom through and then maybe binge everything more at your leisure, because it's not like you're not going to want to go back and watch something that you end up loving, but this way you can kind of get a better sense and be caught up in half the time, hopefully. And what's really interesting about revisiting this list is you might realize that something that you thought was going to be important all the way through winds up such a footnote that some of these might come out and other episodes that wind up getting referenced way more as a result. Absolutely. So it's so beautiful that this is like a living long box. That's what I always refer to, like building an X-Men run. Ooh, uh, I always that. call it. Uh, yeah. Like you find out that this character winds up crossing over with the X-Men like 50 times. So you go back and you find this first time they ever crossed over that no one ever thinks about because it's just two X-Men appear in that guy's book. Then you put that in the run. And then all of a sudden that character becomes an X-Man and now you can't stop adding those issues. Like it becomes like, you know, an evolutionary thing. That's one of the reasons I can't stop comparing Doctor Who to comics. You know, you don't need to read every X-Men book to appreciate X-Men. You can just read a couple of runs and that's amazing. But you will probably want to read more at some point, just not maybe everything. You might want to not watch any of the spinoffs that we only briefly mentioned, or you might find yourself so into it, you want to go out and pick up all of the big Finnish audiobooks. You might find yourself deeply invested in the possibility of Doctor Who comics, of which a number of the creators have been on our shows, and we are very big fans. Uh, you know, Doctor Who is something that excites me. It's something that I know that I don't embrace all the way the same way I embrace, embrace maybe, you know, Star Trek, which is, you know, kind of my space thing. Uh, or Alien, which is, you know, my other space thing. But Doctor Who has room for you if you have room for it. I don't think I can say that about Alien for sure. Uh, because if you're There's a woman... There's room for everyone to die in Alien. You can, yeah, I better say, because the only thing I can tell you is if you're a woman, you have a one in whatever chance of surviving. If you're anyone else, you don't. And uh, only one woman was a woman of color. So I would I would also uh, say your odds are not great if you are Latino. Hi. So, um, TK, 
what are your thoughts to close this thing out? How do you how do you Doctor Who fifty five to sixty episodes for one hundred and seventy five? You're a comic guy. You're a you're a big audiobook guy. Doctor Who has more audiobooks than than yeah, audio dramas because uh, they are not a lot of them are not actually audiobooks. They are produced. Right, you're right. You're so right. Uh, yeah, an incredible wealth of stuff, and they are phenomenal. Um, and you know, I won't even get into adding those into the mix and whether or not they're canon. Uh, yeah, this is just an incredible. Uh, universe it's the universe as a universe and there's so much to take in i i mean i think you know on the one hand 55 is such a small number compared to how much stuff there is on the other hand like i would love to talk about how low you could really get it and hit all of the big mythos notes not in like a oh i don't want to watch 55 way but like what really like if you wanted to hit every big uh myth arc from these seasons you know you basically need almost nothing from eccleston but how much do you need to really get it from tenant how much from matt smith that would really fascinate me but i think 55 is a really awesome manageable number and i think well worth it uh for newcomers to experiment that way no we are uh as always sitting at the end of a saturday broadcast and that means we have a Sunday broadcast a coming. And for our Sunday broadcast, we Heck have we, we have something uh, a little a little unforgettable, I would say. We have uh, the amazing Drag Race finale, and we can't just say the Drag Race finale. No, no, no. We have to talk for a moment about something we alluded to, right? But Jinx Monsoon. One of the, I think she is technically the only U.S. double winner ever. Because I think some people might have double wins across international stuff. But like, Jinx, only double winner in the U.S. ever, is coming to Doctor Who. Yeah. So, it's a really big deal to see the way that like, you know, sometimes people say to me, you know... I don't mean to bring it up so much. It's so embarrassing that I keep saying it, but like, wow, you guys just cover anything now, huh? And like, I hear that, but uh, I don't think that's the case. When you can see the direct line from Doctor Who to Drag Race through someone like Jinx Monsoon, and then we can say, what about Neil Patrick Harris, who we covered in Drag Me to Dinner? And we can say there's more connectivity there there's so much to what we do here that is so about the network of how something like doctor who you know what karen gillen hey what's up nebula who we've talked about a dozen something times chris eccleston what's up worst villain in thor not because of you but because they literally removed everything that makes the character interesting and had you have no funny lines when the character is only supposed to be funny like yeah it's unbelievable to me that anybody would think that these things don't go together i don't know that peanut butter and jelly are necessarily the same thing but i'll be damned if you take them off my uncrustable so um that said we're going to talk about the drag race season eight finale. Uh, and also we're going to be talking about candy muse wearing that Jeffrey Mack jacket and, um, somebody needing to administer an inhaler to Jimbo. You need to fact check that jacket. 
I did. I looked it up. It's oh, it's okay, Jeffrey good. Mac. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so good. Jeffrey Mac is so good. He's so hot. So, um, you know, we also have some other really exciting content coming. One thing I am bunkers banana pants excited about is this coming week we have the debut of the new Haunted Mansion movie, and we're going to do a complete history of all things Haunted Mansion. I'm not sure where it's falling out on the schedule, but maybe next week, maybe not. Who knows? We'll see. Um, we also have the Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds crossover. Really excited about that. It looks so good. Uh, Barbie. I want to talk Barbie. Get pink. Get good. Love pink. Um, and uh, yeah good person on this earth so what's everyone most excited about i'm most excited about getting back to doctor who because now i'm in a pretty doctor who mood and i want to go uh be a non-problematic captain jack harkness uh, just you know don't put your penis on things you'll be fine ah oh, never mind you can't do that uh, for me right now, just because uh, we watched it all together, but we didn't really talk about it too much. I'm excited for us to talk about the Drag Race finale and, you know, living each moment for now. So the most immediate thing is the thing I'm most excited about. Well, then I will mention the thing that you normally bring up from this list that uh, had a bit of exciting news recently, which is the Marvels dropped its trailer uh, yesterday, day before, uh, whatever it was. Looks super fun. Uh, a lot of people are speculating as to whether or not Carol might make an appearance in Secret Invasion. Hopefully something will save it. <sighs> but this looks good. This looks real good. Super excited. Super excited oh, yes. for that. Super excited for this. Super nervous, but excited for Ahsoka. We'll see how that one turns out. Um, yeah, just got a lot of fun stuff coming up that we are going to be covering on this show like always like we do we do have fun don't we oh, and we thank do. you both again for indulging me on this i oh, had absolutely. so much fun and i hope a blast. you did too yay we also added two new shows to our little uh oh I, I dropped that sort of thing we added two new shows to our little uh list of shows gordon ramsay's food stars that is you, you do you want to make biodegradable k cups sure we run all this lemon <laughs> run this lemonade stand while someone throws pig parts at you i'm gonna jump out of a helicopter why you don't I'm, need that i'm so invested i am i am so invested that i am seeing doubles on my return uh i also we watched a bunch of summer baking championship which i'm not gonna make you watch i promise you don't have to watch this one but um but i do want talk about it a lot we just gonna talk about it a little bit because they did a summer holidays challenge and the pre-bake was uh a traditional summer holiday but the post-bake was shocking so post-bake the main bake um so can't wait but yeah. uh yeah, it's just such a great time, guys. And like, thank you for indulging this being a little early. I'm actually going to be at an event this evening. So we broadcast. I mean, yeah, pretty cool venue. So um, I'm going to be, uh, you know, out when we would normally be doing this. And that's kind of what makes this show special to me. And like, we always design this for two hours, guys. I have to level with you. We always do design this for two hours. But it just, it hits three because we have so much to say and uh, so much we want to share with you guys. And like, 
you never know what comment is going to uh, start getting retweeted and you're going to have to defend that uh, in fact pearl jam is come and so uh yeah, always be ready so uh kevo thank you so much for putting together uh what was a pleasure for me like being on this platoon episode uh it's always amazing when somebody's like because for the most part you know we make these together but like when somebody's i want to take the lead on one it's always like it's just it's like doctors it's getting to see a different side of this show and it's always exciting to get to celebrate your side so uh you know tell us all about your side where can we find you and uh ooh, outro question which doctor would you most like to go on a romantic date with? Nothing dirty, nothing crazy, just a romantic date. Good question. Good question. You can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And um, I'm going to say David Tennant, uh, currently 10th doctor. We'll see what sort of attitude and behaviors the 14th doctor carries i love that he seems like he's a little bit vaguely ginger finally and i love the little uh checkered suit so maybe 14 we'll see but uh yeah we're gonna go one of those two probably teak what about you where can they find you and who's your doctor dream date you can find me at TK Elemental. Uh, it's Matt Smith. I mean, I feel like it's going to be Chutigatwa, but we haven't seen him yet, so Ooh, uh, right. I'm not I'm not ready to say that for sure. Um, he's so cute. I do think he's going to be phenomenal, and it'll be him. But until that day, it is my boy Matt Smith who uh, really just made me soon as the Doctor. Nico. Ah, there we go. What about you? So, uh, as always, you guys can find me at Nico Action. It's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I would like to say that uh, the doctor that I think is the dreamiest who I would most like to go on a date with is David Morrissey. Okay. I'll allow it. Um, I'll allow it. We'll probably end up talking about that more on a future episode. Of course, contributor Tori Sheen's choice is always nine. Sorry, not sorry. She wants to get snuggled in his leather coat. And that is just, that has been the case for a good 13 years now. So good for you. Stick to your guns. And respectable choice. I gotta love the ears. So always. So until next time, Nico, do you want to play us out? As always. Uh, be brave, evolve daily, uh, stay strong, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>